We talking rom-com, we talking action, we talking drama and movie classics. Whatever you want, yo, we have it. Cause we talking movies on a podcast. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Hey honey, I just wanna so talk I about the movie like casually. Critic. You don't have to so bring up married- cinematography. Honestly, let's just talk about like how the characters were fun. Married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film Welcome to So I Married a Film Critic. I'm your co-host Julia. And this is Barry Worst, the film critic. Hello, everyone. And tonight we are going to do a more controversial film, the 1999 Stanley Kubrick movie, Eyes Wide Shut. I guess this should come with a warning because when we first started to do this show, I had a list of movies I wanted to cover. And this was near the top of my list. And Julia said, oh, absolutely not. No. And I said, how come? And it was actually a really good conversation because your hesitation to do this as an episode kind of reminds me that I'm very relaxed in my praise of this movie. And that's always been something very relaxed. It's always been something that's gotten me in trouble. And I'll elaborate more about that later. But this is a challenging film, a disturbing film. It is a controversial film, but it's 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 not easy watching. And to say the least, I, you know, I love that we have listeners and we want to keep li- keep our listeners entertained and engaged. All 12 of you. All 12 of you. We love you. <laughs> the Dirty Dozen, you're the best. But the thing is, you know, I know some of you are just listening to this for entertainment value, which is fantastic. And some of you are doing the thing where you see what we're talking about and you watch the film and then you listen to us. So I, I guess I want to, you know, say that don't always feel like you have to see the film, but obviously we want you to. But I... Julia reminds me, and and it's a good reminder, this movie, the amount of nudity, stark sexuality, and the intensity, and the disturbing nature of this movie make it a tough one for a lot of people. Yeah, it's not a film that I personally recommend. If it's something that you've seen or are just curious about on your own, fine. But it's not one I want you to hear me talk about and say, oh, Julia recommended that. No, I, I really don't. And on the other hand, I highly recommend this film because I don't care what your hangups are. I want everyone to encounter great art. I want everyone to encounter great films. Um, sometimes great art is disturbing, troubling, and con- confrontational the way this film is. So um, I make no bones about it. I love this film. But I realized that even when this film came out, or I should say especially when this film came out, it was a very divisive subject, and it continues to be even though over time – People have turned around on their thinking about this movie, but it's still one of the most controversial films Kubrick ever put out, and he put out quite a few of those. So I was going to talk about um, the fir- one of the first reviews of yours that I ever read in college. Actually, I don't think it was the first one, but I started reading our school paper pretty much only for Barry's reviews before I ever met him. And I remember him giving this film a glowing review, and I had never seen it at that point. And I was like, who is this guy? I have heard very weird things <laughs> about this movie. And so that was kind of one of our first interactions when we actually met in person was, are you that guy? Are you that film critic guy? And, oh, you like Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah, that was one of the first things you ever said to me, actually. I mean, I guess I should say... 
my relationship with this movie is is long and it's weird because I was a senior in high school. I was about to graduate and Tom Cruise was on the cover of Premiere and it was to promote the first Mission Impossible. This is back in 1996. And in the interview, Cruise let it drop that he had just made this film for Cameron Crowe, a little sports comedy. And then after that, he and his then wife, Nicole Kidman, were flying to London to spend six months or so making the new Stanley Kubrick film, Eyes Wide Shut. And at the time... The only thing we knew about the plot was it was a story of sexual obsession and jealousy. And for the next three years, that's all we knew about the film. And throughout my college years, I became obsessed with this film because clearly it was not going to be out within a year. Clearly, the the filming of this thing just went on and on and on. It's still in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the longest shoot, which was 400 days. That's a long time. The the joke of it, and this is actually true, apparently Tom and Nicole's kids were in in here in Europe for so long they came back to America with British accents. And I be this is one of these films like I still have it somewhere in a box, I'm sure. I had a file of clippings I could find of of like whatever was spilling out from this movie. And a lot of it was rumors that ended up not even being true. I remember one article saying that the film is called Eyes Wide Open and I'm like, ooh, it's a scoop. No, actually the the reporter just got the title wrong. So when this film finally came out in 1999, I mean, for one thing, it was like, wow, July 16th. That was the summer of The Phantom Menace. That was the summer of Tarzan, Blair Witch Project, Spy Who Shagged Me. It was a big, big, fun movie summer. And this was the one, I, all my buddies were like, yay, Star Wars Episode One, And I was like, no, man, Eyes Wide Shut, the new Kubrick film. I could not wait for this film. And I saw it opening night with my dear friend, Ben. Hope you're listening to this, Ben. And we were so dazzled and disturbed by it in equal measure on opening night. And I, on the other hand, I knew even walking out of it the first time, this is a masterpiece. This doesn't feel like any movie made this year, let alone this decade. There's something special. There's something strange. There's something unspeakably mesmerizing about this movie. And for me, it, like it was an easy, like, yeah, this is clearly the best film of 1999. Um, and as, as the months went by, I realized, oh, no one agrees with me, especially people who had not seen this film and declared it to be pornography, a blue film, or some, some, some awful movie that was really of their own making. Hmm. So, okay. So that's when you and I met because this, yeah, this, you know, and I don't necessarily want to name drop where we went to school, but we were going to a conservative, a very conservative Christian private college. So to say the least, my rave review in my school paper it about eyes wide go shut down well. No, I it put me uh, at war with the dean of students who's about to retire, so he'll never hear this. Um, <laughs> hopefully not. But uh, yeah, it was it was it made for a long couple of months after the film came out. I actually had a couple of people stop me and ask me, you know, why are you condoning pornography? Why are you telling people to see this? You know, blah blah blah, and. And my reasons have always been pretty much the same, although my 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 views of the film have changed. But I, I think the film is is uh, just about perfect, and we'll get right. into that. Let's talk about it because this is one of your top ten best of films of all time. So favorite, favorite. So even though I was a little reluctant at first to talk about this movie, I thought, what the heck? Let's just do it. I think this was my third time seeing it. I really can't remember. I think it's probably like my 10th or 12th. It's somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Do you regret suggesting that we watch this? No, no. I don't regret it Did at all. Did you enjoy watching it last night? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, enjoy... I don't know. You know, it's... 
let's just talk about it because I think there are things about it that are interesting and intriguing and it brings up some good discussion topics, but I don't know that it is an enjoyable experience for me because it's so weird. And again, like on the one hand, I'm just like, look, whoever you are, if you're interested in this film, if you want to see great film, disturbing or not, see it. It's a fantastic movie. Don't go your whole life without seeing Stanley Kubrick's final movie. On the other hand, for those of you who have a sense of disposition, you're shocked by the sight of areolas or Nicole Kidman's buttocks, (laughs) then you know what? There are other films to be watching than Eyes Wide Shut. So final warning. Okay. All right, so the opening of Eyes Wide Shut is Nicole Kidman's buns, speaking of what you just said. so To speak about this film in a very scholarly, intellectual way, yes. (laughs) Yes, getting undressed, dressed for a party. And her back is to us. Yeah, it's 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 such an unconscious and unshowy moment. Uh, It almost... It almost feels like a found moment that wasn't even intended to be in the movie. Mm. And, you know, every time I see a Kubrick film, my eyes always go to different places. In this case, I was looking at a pair of tennis rackets on the side. Yeah, he's like, go back. What are those? What, what's that tennis racket? I'm like, you're really looking at the tennis racket? Is that a detail we need to know? And what are you telling her, me, Mr. Kubrick? Not her butt. <laughs> well, I've, you know, I've seen this film at least a dozen times. You know, you got you to gotta mix it up. Your eyes can't go to the same place every time. Oh, okay. All right. So it's Christmas time and New York City. The movie reminds us of that because there is a Christmas tree in almost every almost every scene. scene. Yeah. Yeah. And they all look the same, all these Christmas trees. Did you notice that? Yeah. They're all decorated with the same lights. Fairly accurate though. I mean, my, I've been to I've been to uh New York during Christmas time many times no, in my life. No, but even and... in people's homes, they all look the same. Nobody decided they wanted to do a white light tree that year. I mean... What do you think that means, Jules? I mean, what do you think Mr. Fine. Kubrick is telling us? I don't know. Is there something interchangeable about the way we celebrate Christmas? Maybe. There you go. All right. All right. Well done, Mr. Kubrick. <laughs> so, uh, Tom and Nicole, who are Bill and Alice... Dr. Bill and Alice, Harford, yes. They are heading out to a party. So, you know, they're getting ready, getting dressed putting on deodorant, going to the bathroom, talking to the babysitter. They have a daughter who's seven-ish. Around that, yeah, Helena. Yeah. And the apartment is covered with art. It's uh, a welcoming, cozy environment. Hermetically sealed, but I never felt claustrophobic in this apartment. I always thought, this is a lovely place. It's lived in. It's kind of their their world. I dig it. You don't like this apartment? No, I love it. I mean, he's a doctor. Of course it's nice. Well, I mean, I've been to doctor's homes and I think, oh, really? Dogs playing poker? Really? I mean, this is a nice (laughs) apartment. You're like, wow, such generic art. Is that what you think? (laughs) I've been to some doctor's houses and I thought, oh, I thought you guys made a lot more money than this. No, I really. Wow. Maybe they make a lot of money, but they invest it in other ways. Well, look, let's be clear. Like, this isn't like Dr. My Dr. Vakai used to see as a little kid who used to give me a lollipop every time he gave me a shot. This is Dr. Bill Harford. They live in Central Park West. They clearly have some very highfalutin clients, including the individual whose home they go to, Victor Ziegler, played by the wonderful, the late, the great Sidney Pollock. Mm Mm-hmm. And they yeah. go to his home, which is spectacular and covered oh head to toe gosh. with lights. I don't know where this house is in New York, but it's massive on the inside. Well, I mean, let's talk about the lighting well, pictures. Is it I his mean, house? Yeah. I mean, he has I a think ballroom. It's, a, it's his house. Then he has it's a ballroom and a bar. I think it's his, his brownstone, I think. And I mean, look, I mean, the thing is glowing with lights. He has a ballroom and a bar in his house, though. This can't be his actual house. Well, I mean, you know, if Eddie Murphy can have a bowling alley in his home, why can't this guy? All right. 
And, you know, I want to say, like, I mean, it looks like the place was decorated by Clark W. Griswold because it's just covered, covered in these beautiful glowing lights. It almost looks like it's on fire. It's radiating so much light. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they look great and they're going to this party and she's like, do you even know anybody here? And he's like, no, but this is like one of the perks of making house calls. So, yeah, they they're at this party and then... She needs to go to the bathroom, so they separate. And this is where it gets interesting, because Dr. Bill sees... Oh, it's always been interesting. This movie opened up with Nicole Kimmons, but <laughs> I am I am already interested, movie. Okay. So he, he recognizes the piano player as a guy he went to med school with. Yeah. So that's Nick Nightingale, and mm. he they're both, like, really excited to see him. Okay, this was the one of the moments in the film where I thought... Mm. Tom Cruise is being real Tom Cruisey because he, <laughs> him and Nick are just like patting each other and hey bro, good to see you bro, you know. And Tom's big laugh, you know. I felt like he is more Tom Cruise than she is Nicole Kidman. Like I feel like she has more of a character than he does. But that was just my initial impression from that. I disagree. See. I think what's being portrayed here is that these guys had a lot of fun in med school. I think it's like, oh, bro, remember the time we put that cadaver in the dean's room? Oh, high five me, bro. Oh, remember the time we went in that panty raid in the nurse's quarters? High five me, bro. Woo, med school. I think they had a lot of fun in med school. And they just, they're like, oh, my God, it's you. It's the party, man. It's Nick and Bill. We're back together again. Woo. It's Nick and Bill. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Eyes Watch Shut prequel I want to see, by the way. Oh, okay. So... Yeah. All right, so we establish that Nick is back in town and he's going to be there for a while and come see him. And then Alice goes to the bar and this is where she meets this dashing Hungarian guy. Sandor or Sevast. I'm Hungarian. I'm like, yeah, hungry, represent. (laughs) Represent. And she's like drunk and she's like, I'm Alice. I'm American. (laughs) My name is Sandor Savas. I'm Hungarian. My name is Alice Harford. I'm American. Delighted to meet you, Alice. Did you ever read the Latin poet Arvid on the art of love? Didn't he wind up all by himself, crying his eyes out in some place with a very bad climate? (laughs) But he also had a good time first. A very good time. Are you here with anyone tonight, Alice? With my husband. Oh, how sad. But then I'm sure he's the sort of man who wouldn't mind if we danced. Okay, so their whole interaction is him flirting with her and and she's really... Just kind of like falling all over him, but they're dancing and he's flirting with her and he definitely wants to take her upstairs and have a quickie. And just to remind you, this is not Tom Cruise. This is the Hungarian Sandor 
who towers over her. He's a very invasive, intrusive sexual presence. Mm -hmm. The first thing he does to get her attention is he drinks her champagne right in front of her unapologetically. He makes it very clear what he wants from Mm -hmm. her. And he is following her around this dance floor like she is a sheep and he is a carnivorous wolf. Following her, no, they're dancing and he's leading and she. Yes, but yeah. I mean, just the visual. I mean, I mean, it's it's very much a, a stalking kind of seduction. I'd oh, say, yeah. even though yes, they're dancing, but I mean, no question. I mean, he is in pursuit. Sure, I think that's the visual Kubrick is trying to suggest here. The film opens with a waltz. The music, you know, the, the music is always in that sort of tenor for the most part. Um, but this is a case where it's not about two partners in coupling. This is where. This is a woman, you know, Being holding pursued, on, yeah. holding on for dear life. With this guy is, you know, really oozing his way all over her. Yeah, and he's like, "Why would you want to be married?" And she says, "Why wouldn't I?" And he's like, "Oh, it's that bad." She's like, "Or it's that good." <laughs> so then that kind of gets into a a thing about it's this theme, right, about marriage and can you trust the person that you're with and why would you want to be married when you could just like have as many sexual partners as you want and it's about the bond of marriage too what are the rules of marriage are there things that remain or go away after you've been married for a period of time it's been established they've been married for didn't they say like like 10 years something like that yeah 10 years and their daughter's about i think eight years old so it's it's established, you know, they're they're comfortable with each other and of course, you know, I don't even I don't really want to get into the real life baggage, but of course at this point, Tom and Nicole have been married for nearly ten years. Um, this was near the ending of their Yeah, their real I don't marriage. want to talk about their real relationship. Yeah. No, but just just to, to make the point, because Kubrick clearly cast these two on purpose, not only for their box office draw, but this is their third film together. And despite what a lot of critics said about the film at the time, um, they do have chemistry together. But it's not a romantic chemistry. This is about, you know, the film is about a couple who they don't completely grasp what they have. And over the course of the film, they're sort of realizing the value of the of the life that they have with each other, as well as the comfort and the safety that they take for granted. So I agree with you. I do feel like, the, I mean, the movie from start to top to bottom is about... Um, it's about bedroom intimacy, not the sexual aspect of it, but what people actually talk about behind doors, what's really going on, um, what, you know, the unspoken things about whether married couples lie to each other. Should they lie to each other? Should they have fantasies? I don't know if this film has any answers, but it brings up a lot of questions. And some of them are very troubling, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And while Alice is dancing with the Hungarian, she notices Dr. Bill with two models and she is like oh there he is with these very attractive women and then but dr bill is whisked away by ziggler who has a problem but alice doesn't know that she just knows that he's been gone for a very long time right you know so in the back of her mind she's thinking all right here is this guy flirting with me my husband is flirting with these two women. I don't know where they went off to. And so now we have this um, a setup for a deception and betrayal type of thing because they don't know what's going on. You wonder if it's always this interesting when it, when the Harfords go on a date. <laughs> Are people constantly coming on to them? Because, I mean, on the one hand, we get it. I mean, this is Tom and Nicole in 1999. They both look 
younger. They look spectacular. They've always looked great. But clearly, this is an attractive power couple, if you will, because he's they're obviously wealthy and well taken care of. Uh, at the same time, everything is it's almost a bit exaggerated in this film how nearly every person they encounter wants to sleep with them. Yes, it's it's almost always a sexual come on in their case. But this is the beginning because you know again this to be clear for those of you who haven't seen this movie we're not talking about little flirtation. I mean this is this is very blatant. Yes, very deliberate form of flirtation. So so uh, Doctor Bill is whisked away into Victor's private quarters and it turns out he has a naked prostitute who has passed out from uh, from from drug use and uh, Bill has been. Uh, well, he's, he's asked to make sure he's she's been summoned, okay. Yeah, summoned to make sure she hasn't died at his party. And obviously, this is a moment of indiscretion, or rather that uh, Victor does not want his wife to know about this happening right now. Yeah, because she's right downstairs. Hello. Right downstairs, yeah, <laughs> when this is happening. And clearly, there was all, you know, clearly this was a sexual encounter turned bad, if you will. So it's interesting because during this scene, Bill is not making eye contact with Victor. He is strictly in doctor mode. And he's doing everything he can to be calm, but also revive the patient. And he basically does it just by talking her through it. And the scene would almost seem to be something of a non sequitur, but it's very important because it's Bill establishing the bond that he has with Victor and also establishing that uh, these are two individuals with a moral moral compass that they are willing to compromise. Oh, that Dr. Bill is willing to compromise? They're both kind of slimy in this situation. It's, you know, Bill is doing the right thing, if you will, by being a doctor. But he's putting himself in a situation where, I mean, he's he's not he, he has no moral high ground. The fact that he's even a part of this and willing to take part in this, mm. there's something slimy about him in this in this scene. Well, what was he supposed to do? I mean, Victor calls him upstairs to make sure that this girl isn't dead. Well, for starters, how could you? Your wife is right downstairs. What have you two been doing? You allowed her to inject heroin and cocaine during your sexual encounter. You expect me to bring her back to life. Why doesn't she have any clothes on yet? Why are you still standing around naked? Yeah, I think there's a few questions. No, I mean, I understand that. But I think he has established this pattern with Victor already. This, I doubt this is the first time this has happened. Oh, you think this happens every time? It's like... Oh, God, it's Victor's birthday again. Well, I, Son I mean, of a gun. I, I got to go over there and revive another hooker. I mean, I can't imagine that this is the first time something shady has happened I gotta, with this guy. Got to practice my hooker reviving speech again. <laughs> okay, look into my eyes. Can you hear my voice? Okay, no. clap your hands. All right. <laughs> a happy hooker isn't a live hooker. Stop it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> no. God, I hate going to Victor's house. Well, I'm, I mean, maybe not this exact scenario, but there's no way... That he Victor, I, I liked it better when they jumped out of the cake. Okay, this is just I hate this. I hate this so much. All right, because <laughs> he he tells Alice this is one of the perks of making house calls. What do you think all these house like, calls? Bill, are? Bill, look under the table. Ah, oh, another dead hooker, Victor. Oh, I swear to God. Yeah. No, I, no, I'm telling you, this is not the first. It's interesting. Time. I never thought of that before. So you think like this is something that keeps happening? Not this exact maybe with thing. Ma- with this particular lady. You think? No, because he didn't know her name. Well, let's be honest. <laughs> you, oh, does he ever ask? You don't. Yes, he does ask her name. Does he? Yeah, her well, name's Mandy. I'm well. Yeah, he he needs to know her name when she's almost dead, and Bill is in the room. But I'm saying, like in most situations, you think. I, well, I don't think that Victor is being 
exclusive with Mandy <laughs> as like the only hooker he's with. No, I don't think that. But I, so who knows if. I do wonder that because without jumping the gun. Well, okay, yes. She right. becomes a pivotal character later yes, on. She does. Yeah. So maybe, but the way that he talks about her at the end of the film, he he's just like, he doesn't care about her like that. Or does he? Well, maybe. Well, okay. All right, all now, right. you're, now you're making me question things. Well, which, I'm, this movie makes you do. well. This is Kubrick. Um, as as anybody who, has, if anybody who has who has studied or discussed The Shining a little too much, um, Kubrick leaves a lot of possibilities. He's not ambiguous. He just leaves clues. And where you think there's empty spaces, where you think there's no definite explanation, there are possibilities. Uh, a lot of people kind of go overboard with this. They say, oh, Kubrick, you know, like it's because of that ridiculous documentary where it's like Kubrick did the moon launch and he proved that the Aztecs were right. Like it was all these ridiculous fallacies within that documentary. But it was very well made, a very entertaining documentary. And I think people just want to believe in conspiracy theories. So like, like yes, Kubrick did put a mat on the moon. And that's I, I think that's really overstating it. On the other hand, this was a brilliant man in intellect. Can I tell my quick Kubrick story? Sure. In fact, I met Kier Dulay 20 years ago. Kier Dulay was the star of 2001 A Space Odyssey. This proves my point. So Kier Dulay told me this story. And I, he's told other people this story. I'm not the only person to hear this. But he, he kind of privately told me this story about Stanley Kubrick. I only Stanley want Kubrick. exclusive Kubrick stories. Well, Just kidding. <laughs> I don't know how many people know this story. But I felt really, really honored that he told me this story. He said, you know, he made the film 2001 in 1967, 68. And it came out in 68. So... You know, 2001, he's an astronaut. He's on a spaceship with Hal the Robot. To put it in very simple terms, Hal the Robot turns bad, turns against the spaceship, and becomes a war against Hal and this character, David Bowman, played by Kier. So Kier Dulay gets a letter decades later from this guy saying that he's a chess champion. And the chess champion, I guess he like he was from Harvard or Stanford, some high mucky muck. He writes Kier Dulay a letter and says, hey, I'm a fan of your movie. I love 2001. By the way, did you ever notice that in the first scene of the movie, Hal the Robot is cheating? Did you ever notice that? And Kira's going, no. So he manages to get Kubrick on the phone. And Kubrick at that time was making Full Metal Jacket. He calls up Stanley Kubrick and says, hey, I like, hope you remember me. I was in your movie 20 years ago. And and Kubrick's like, hey, yeah, of course I remember you, Kira. How are you doing? What's going on? And and Kira Dulay asked him, like, hey, uh, I got this letter from this fan. Uh, he pointed out that Hal was cheating in the first scene of the movie. Are you aware of that? And Kira said it was a very long pause. And Kubrick said, of course I'm aware of that! And he hangs up and never spoke to him again. <laughs> so with Kubrick, there's always details. It doesn't mean that it necessarily points to the great unsolved conspiracies of the world, which I think people want to pull from Kubrick's films, The Shining in particular. But there's always possibilities in his films, which is why I tend to look at the edits. I tend to look at the placement of the art direction. Uh, there's there's a lot of mystery in his films, and and sometimes we blame like oh the performances aren't that good or the the story's vague. No, it's it's all there. We just have to look. I think. Hmm. Like, what do the tennis rackets mean? Just, what just do those kidding. tennis rackets look? I'm not distracted by your butt, Miss Kidman. I want to know about those tennis rackets. <laughs> okay, well we missed um, a key thing before Doctor Bill goes up to Victor's upstairs to deal with the gal. The two um, models. The two models. He's like, so where where are we going? I mean, they're totally flirting. And they're like, we're going to go where the rainbow ends. And that ends up being kind of coming back later. And he's like, the rainbow? I mean, he's acting like he doesn't know what this means. Yeah, and I was in college when I saw this. Like, oh, I know what that means. <laughs> Those girls are dirty. 
<laughs> okay, so then he... That's when he's whisked away to, yeah, to help he, Victor with his problem. Yeah, with yeah. his problem. Okay. This hooker problem. Yeah. And we should point out, obviously, that the, the, the prostitute, uh, her, whose name is Mandy, survives. Um, and yeah, it ends with this very awkward, although very brotherly moment where Victor says, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to say this, but let's, you're going to be discreet about yeah. this, or you're not going to tell my wife again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so what, the next day they have... You're not going to skip over the mirror scene, are you? Oh. The mirror scene. Okay. Please stop. (laughs) This is embarrassing. (laughs) Okay. So Nicole Kidman is naked in front of the mirror. Tom Cruise starts making out with her and she is watching herself. Is that the... Yeah. The mirror scene. It's set to, to Chris Isaac. Yeah. Okay. No, nothing. You didn't write any notes for that scene. No. What What did you write? Nothing. <laughs> I. What, what did I write down? I wrote down mirror scene. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it is the. It's cover. a great scene. It's the cover of the DVD. When well, when they promoted this movie, I mean, that was the teaser trailer they showed. Just that scene, which was like, no wonder everybody thought this was going to be like the most expensive X-rated movie ever made. Yeah, and it was mm-hmm. the cover of of every magazine. It was the it's the poster of the film. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, uh, Nicole Kidman just being very infatuated with herself. Well, what does it mean? I mean, we watched a film not long ago called "The Mirror Has Two Faces," and now we have someone who's staring at the mirror during this moment of intimacy. Is is it about? Our duplicitous side is about the, uh, the the duplicitous self that we have during marriage. Is it that she had this sexual encounter with this Hungarian that maybe a uh, mental sexual encounter with this Hungarian um, that she's now carrying out physically with her husband? Oh, what do you think? I don't know. These are two people who are very turned on from these encounters at this party that went nowhere. And then now they're home with each other. And it's Chris Isaac time. You know what that means. It's great. <laughs> okay so you're saying they got turned on by other people and i and think she's getting turned on watching herself being ravished by dr bill oh well i mean as one does i guess well this is one of the few times like she's not in a nurse's outfit i'm sure it's a lot more to this on most normal mm-hmm. nights yeah okay i mean we can come back to this if there's oh dr than... bill i have a headache <laughs> doom, 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 doom. <laughs> Dr. Bill's like, all right, you're playing Chris Isaac. I know what that means. I know what that means. Okay. (laughs) But they have a montage of their day the next day where he goes to work and you see him at his office. Alice is at home with their daughter. It's, It's obviously Christmas break. You know, so. and to, to you know, because because I'm clearly not in like film professor mode tonight. Yeah, there's 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 quite a bit of nudity during this montage, which yes. is which is I think was really jarring for a lot of people. I remember even even in the theater, people kind of like laughing uncomfortably. Um, people were not prepared for the amount of nudity in this film. Oh no, I don't think anybody would be. It's just really it's all the time. It's it's like every other scene. Oh almost. okay. All right. <laughs> Clearly, I don't have a problem with that. But. <laughs> okay. So we're just establishing, I think, their just normal daily lives. Um, you know, yes, Dr. Bill has to check, you know. The memories of very attractive women, but there's always a nurse present. There you go. As he okay. notes later on. Yes. He also sees a little girl and 
gives her the candy cane and he's like oh man my three o'clock's coming bill i suspect that not only is this central park west i suspect like this is where some of the famous people are you know i'm sure he has some supermodels and i'm sure the film is is making a point to show that because this is a guy who can control himself or seemingly so this is a guy who control himself in quotes because we don't know as a doctor. him as, as, a, a, doctor. as a doctor as a doctor yes. he's a yes, legit a doctor. doctor he's not like he's not a creeper doctor he's not the doctor from the hand that rocks the cradle oh, yeah, okay no. he's like he's yeah he's he's a he's a family man and he clearly relishes that role but the question is how much of it really is a role and when does that role stop mm-hmm. okay so then the next night this is when it gets interesting as i wrote my notes alice goes to the medicine cabinet and goes to the woody harrelson section and pulls out a little doobage (laughs) okay so they're just smoking pot in their bedroom and getting high apparently apparently oh yeah. I'd, I'd say this is like this is from like the 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 willie nelson brand of, yeah this yeah. is some this is clearly like the most amazing mind-blowing marijuana yeah definitely so they start talking about the party the night before and she's asking him like oh where were you with those models right i don't know the i don't remember the exact like well the, the conversation gets very naughty and very uh very unguarded for the both of them right but he's he's basically saying okay i know you would never cheat on me because i have faith in you even though um yeah other people find you attractive but i know you would never do something like that and she just gets really offended <laughs> Before we get to that, I got to say a very key part of this exchange, and I, I, I somehow I didn't catch it until last night. There's a lot of things I catch every time I catch something new every time I see this film. But he tells her, he lies to her about Victor. He says, you know, mm. I just Victor was sick. I was upstairs with him. She's for an hour. Yeah, I was up there for an hour. He was sick. And you know, rather than explain, look, I did not have a three way with these models. I was oh yeah, because I she's was, like, where? where even she, better, I was helping Victor with yeah. his with his nearly dead hooker problem you, again. Yeah, because she's like, did you f those models? Yes, you know. And he's like, and to be clear, uh, listeners, there's an f dash dash dash. Well, yeah, but I'm not. I we don't want to get censored. I don't want to get an explicit thing on our podcast. <laughs> So anyway, my okay. my point is that he lies to her, and then moments later he says, "I would never lie to you." Oh yeah, it's subtle, and mm-hmm. I, I I love that because the characters in this movie are not. This is probably the scene where the acting is the most demonstrative. Everything is oh. very reined in. Okay, so this is the part because he he's talking about men and how men are. Of course, all they're thinking about is sex. You know, like of course that guy wanted to sleep with you, like you know, you're a beautiful, sexy, attractive woman, but I know you would never do that. And she's like, okay, but what about you? And he's like, well, no, I would never do that. And she's like, what makes you an exception? You just told me this is all men think about. So why are you different? And he said, I love you. We're married. I would never lie to you, which, okay, he just did, right? Mm -hmm. And... She says, well, what makes you think, you know, I don't want, like, just a one-night thing? Like, what makes you think I don't want to just, like, have sex for the sake of having sex with somebody else? And he's like, well, women don't think like that. And she just starts (laughs) cackling. (laughs) 
And she's like, why, but why aren't you jealous about me? You've never been jealous about me. And that really bothers her. Mm, yeah. That he just thinks, <clears throat> it really bothers her that he just thinks, okay, you know, she's my wife. She's devoted to me. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. And she's kind of like, in a way, she's thinking, you don't know me at all. Because you don't know that I have thought about that. And she even says, if you men only knew. Yeah. Yeah. And so then she, because um, Bill is like sure that Alice would never cheat on him. So then she starts telling the Cape Cod story. And the Cape Cod story is they were in Cape Cod like a year ago. And she saw this naval officer and she said, oh, he just glanced at her. Just a glance. But at that moment, she said... She was ready to just, like, risk her entire life for one night with that guy. And so she goes on telling him all these things. And I don't know. Like, I just found that story so interesting because she says to Bill, like, but I also in that moment had never felt closer to you. And we were having, like, amazing sex. And we were talking about our future. And there were, we were doing all these things. But in the back of my mind, I was still thinking about this naval officer which is what every man wants to hear (laughs) (laughs) we've never been closer but at the same time i was thinking about dwayne johnson (laughs) i had the rundown playing in the background but really you and i were the most tender we ever been (laughs) okay and the look on bill's face he looks like his whole world is just well this is the signature kubrickian stare falling apart yeah 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 And she says, you know, the next morning she realized that the naval officer had already left. He's checked out and he's gone. And she just says she was so relieved. And, you know, just kind of like after that, she didn't think about him again. Um, I don't know. So he this kind of this story is kind of what launches the rest of the movie. Yeah. Because Bill just cannot handle the fact that his wife thought just thought about cheating on him well here's the thing too it's a very key thing because at the end of alice's incredible monologue and i don't know why nicole kidman was an oscar nominated for this film she is extraordinary and this is one of her absolute best performances and i don't say that lightly she's been brilliant for years but this is one of her milestones as an actress at the end of this monologue uh we cut back to bill and he looks shattered perturbed about to implode (laughs) and he's about to say something who knows what he was about to say about to say something and then the phone rings he's interrupted this keeps happening for the rest of the film he's constantly interrupted whether by phone or by person um it's it's as you've indicated i mean it's is if this reality this moment this instance is being interrupted into a different turn of fate because if this scene had played out to the end, it would have been a different film. It would be a really different thing. But con- there are constant twists of fate occurring here where the story is going in one direction. A scene is going in a certain direction. But then suddenly these interruptions completely change the the momentum and the direction of our main character, Dr. Bill. Mm-hmm. So Bill gets a phone call out of nowhere saying that, was it mentor of his? I think I don't know. I think it was just a patient. I don't know why I'm asking this with a question. I know this film so well. I think it's just a patient. Yeah, I believe, yeah, it's just yeah, it's a patient. So he suddenly has to head across town because he's died. Yes, the patient has died. So 
on the way over, uh, we get it's one of the many shots of Doctor Bell, and Cruz is doing his brooding thing where he's thinking about he's he's having he's having fantasies about his wife's fantasy, and they are they're hateful, they're painful, they're not black and white, they're in kind of a garish. It is blue. black and white. Is it? Yeah. I kind of envision it like being kind of like dark blue, but no, maybe just no, black, it's and black and white. All right. It's it's Nicole Kidman. It's Alice and the Naval Officer. Being, yeah, yeah. Just getting it on. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's and each like time he fantasizes, it gets it worse gets and worse. Worse and yeah, worse. yeah. Various stages of undress <clears throat> until it's just full on. Yeah. And so he just can't stop thinking about what her fantasy must have been that's what I, how my take on it fantasy also a possible change of direction i mean she's essentially telling her husband that you know there's a chance where i thought of someone other than you i almost left you there was someone who i don't think she's saying she almost left him i think what she was saying is for a brief moment like less than 24 hours i was willing to risk everything Risk it, not necessarily say goodbye to it. I'm not saying it's right, but no, 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 no. And, and, and it, even if you do, it's fine. It's a movie. It's okay. We can talk about Bill and Alice critically. It's fine. It's a movie, folks. <laughs> but uh, no, no. Um, the fact that she says the next morning he wasn't there, and I felt such relief. I think it is this indication of. I mean, this could have been something that just consumed her. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I think if the naval officer had given her more than a glance, she would have been like, okay, let's do this. This would be a story that she's telling to the naval officer about how she left her husband Bill in New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Dr. Bill goes to this guy's house, and the daughter, you know, is there with him. And I don't know how old this woman is. Uh, probably, around his age? Yeah, around Tom Cruise's age. Yeah, this okay. is played by Mar the lovely Swedish actress uh, Marie Richardson. Okay, so he, you know, they're talking about the father, and you can tell, because <laughs> I forgot about this scene. Oh, you forgot about the punchline? That's yeah. the best way. That's the best way to watch this scene I, yeah. if you don't know what's coming. I forgot, and she, you know, he's just like, oh, you know, your dad was so proud of you. You know, you gave everything to him his last you know, years, months of life, how I, you know, she must have been his caretaker. And all of a sudden, she just like starts kissing him, kissing Dr. Bill. And she's like, I love you. I love you. And Dr. Bill's just like, what is happening? He is so shocked. I love you. I love you, I love you, Marian. I love you, I love you. I don't want to go away with Carl. Marion, I don't think you realize. I do. What? Even if I'm never to see you again, I want at least to live near you. Marion, listen to me. Listen to me. You're very upset right now, and I don't think you realize what you're saying. I love you. Marion, we barely know each other i don't think we've had a single conversation about anything except your father oh, i love you he's got great bedside manner because on the one hand we can see how upset he is about this moment but he's also he's again he's he's clearly a very studied doctor in terms of with people's feelings the way he talks to people it's like he's always in his office you know he's always like he's always got that doctor's office thing going on he tells a very not not yeah, unkind. He's not unkind, but he's very very plain with her. He's like, we barely know each other. Oh yeah, he goes, we Marion. 
I don't even know you. <laughs> like this. We is, don't talk about anything other than your father, yeah, which this, is yeah. I'm like, this is so embarrassing for her. Like, super weird. Just obviously, she's been fantasizing about Doctor Bill and has created a relationship with him in her mind. And now it's her chance to just like tell him how she feels, and he's like. I am not a part of your weird whatever's going on in your head, and this is bizarre. This is this is one of the many scenes in the movie where I thought, is this what it's like to be Tom Cruise? Does this happen to him all the time? Like, a, you know, a, a flight attendant on a plane is pouring his drink, and then this just happens. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care about Carl. Let's run away. Oh, yeah. So then, <laughs> so Marion is with Carl, and Carl comes... He almost looks identical. Yeah, thank you for pointing that Tom out. Cruise. Two things I want to say really quickly about this. Carl, yeah, he looks so much like Dr. Bill. I think this is smart and intentional casting. Clearly, she's marrying him because like, he kind of looks like Dr. Bill. <laughs> the other thing that I, I completely overlooked, and I shouldn't, shame on me, uh, this is Thomas Gibson who played the villain in Far and Away. Oh, see, and Far and Away. I'm going to marry you, Shannon. <laughs> Hella high water. I'm going to marry you. We're going to run away together. Yeah, this is Thomas Gibbs who played the bad guy in Far and Away. He was a romantic rival. The Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman movie, I do recommend. (laughs) Oh, man. Not Days of Thunder? (laughs) No, I love it. I love Far and Away. All right. Well, I'm actually going to give Days of Thunder the win. Oh, man. For those two movies. I like Days of Thunder. I mean, I like Far and Away, too. It's, it's, It's great. It's an Irish spring commercial. Okay. Anyways, so, all right. So he <laughs> comes in. Doctor Bill gets out of there with a quickness. He's like, "I gotta go." And the camera is tight on her. Yeah, Marianne, as he leaves, it's like, oh, she's just devastated. Her life. This is the worst moment of her life. The greatest and the worst moment of her life at the same time. Yeah, it's great. But she's do, so good in this. And I know this is a minor thought, but don't you think this is like her having like a pretend relationship with him in her mind and then when she finally like you know kisses him and tells him that she loves him it's one of those like just embarrassing scenarios i suspect this is what it's like every time justin bieber like walks into a lobby of a hotel i mean yeah it's 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 embarrassing but it also could have been the situation for alice and this naval officer because alice is having these fantasies about the naval officer. Um. And if she like actually approached him, he could have just been like, uh, what are you, what? Like, who are it's you? Like, Lady, just say thank you for your service <laughs> and go away. Cause this is very inappropriate. Yeah. I'm married. I don't know what's happening. I'm actually on my honeymoon right now. My wife is right there. Uh, <laughs> please stop kissing my eye. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just thought of that. That's really good, Joel. No, I like that. Yeah, because yeah, uh, I mean, because there. Are, this is obviously the first of many sort of situations that Doctor Bell finds himself into, and they're all kind of a variant of uh, testing his marriage, testing his resolve, testing his fidelity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Doctor Bell leaves, but as you have always told me about this movie, we never see him actually leave yeah. places. Right, you only see him arrive. You have get these exterior shots, and Kubrick is very careful to show Doctor Bell go down hallways, go through doorways, leave a cab, but you never see him exit these places. There's no, you know, and you might say, well, you know, it's because the movie's already long, and, and no, 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 Kubrick doesn't do things for accident. This, 
a man doesn't take 400 days to make a movie and like make like oh i forgot something no 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 it's i forgot it's, to make him exit any doors this is a guy who leaves all of his chips on the table for every scene every shot he's famous for that even even when he wasn't taking a very long time to make movies uh his films have always been incredibly studied and and very he's very persnickety about details so yeah i think it's a very important detail that we never ever see bill leave these places which makes me wonder if he was ever in a lot of these places in well it's the first like place. he leaves rooms but he doesn't ever leave the exterior of a building right that's kind of what i we're think saying, that's a right? very important detail okay yeah. So all of a sudden, he's just like, what, walking around New York? You know how, for example, you're taking a walk in New York and you imagine yourself going to, say, a hooker's apartment. And you kind of have a fantasy of what that might be like. And suddenly your dream ends and you're back outside and you're back to, you know, like, oh, this is real life. I was just having a fantasy, a waking fantasy back there. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the film operates that way. That is one way to interpret this film. So this is when he meets Domino, who meets him on the street. And she's obviously you know, a prostitute. And and she's like, hey, you want to go back to my place? And and they arrive at the red door of her building. And Key he's detail. like, oh, you live here? She's like, yeah. All right. So he agrees to $150. And then who? This is 1999. I think I think the going rate would be a lot more now. It probably would so be. It's Vanessa Shaw of Ladybugs. I mean, she, she needs to ask for a lot more, especially from this oh, guy. Oh, Ladybugs. I didn't know that. Yeah, she's from Ladybugs. That's so funny. <laughs> okay. She went from Ladybugs to Eyes Wide Shed. Oh. Not, not, not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah. Okay. So he um, he kisses her, but then they get... Phonus Interruptus. Yes. And it's, uh, Mrs. it's Alice. Mrs. Dr. Bill. What a drag. Yeah, Mrs. Dr. Bill. She's like, hey, Bill, when are you going to come home and... <clears throat> what? I want to finish this spliff. What? <laughs> She's like in the kitchen making a bong. <laughs> All right. I have no idea what you're talking about. All right. Sorry. That's my Cheech and Chong variation of the movie. No. Okay. No. So, yeah. Yeah. So, she. it's a very innocent call. I mean, although she is eating like, what are, what are those cookies? I don't know. There's, it's like a, it's like a health, like a quote unquote healthy kind of Oreo, like Malamars or something. Clearly, she's got the late night munchies. I think. Oh, right. So, yeah. So, she's like, when are you coming home, Bill? Yeah, and he says, oh, it's going to be a while. You know, he's got to, like, hang out at this dead guy's house and and <laughs> say hi to all the relatives. It's very strange. Like, the fact that... It's not a great story. That she even is believing this is crazy. But, you know, I, I do love the choice that Cruz is making as an actor. And I'll, there's a lot of choices I'll, that he makes that I'll defend because I love his performance in here. But he's staring at the wall. He's not like looking at Domino. He's like, oh, honey, it's going to be a long night. I'll be home. No, he is clearly, clearly the the seduction is over. He is rattled to hear his wife's voice. And he very calmly, quietly and almost in a very childlike way goes back to domino hangs up the phone with his wife and says you know what i'll uh i'll, I'll pay you anyway because uh yeah yeah i gotta go yeah i gotta go you're really nice you know. <laughs> okay so then he finds himself walking around new york again and he go. he finds the he just happens upon the cafe that cafe nick, sonata that nick nightingale works at so he's like oh yeah nick nightingale and go check out my my bro my med school med school 
Let's go. <laughs> okay. So he, um, he's just, Nick is just finishing up his set. And so he has a drink with Bill and I don't know, they're just chatting. And then he's like, yeah, you know, you got, I got to go where the work is and I got a gig later, like two, but it doesn't start till 2 a.m. And he's like, what kind of gig is that? And this is when he tells him about the secret party with the password. As the conversation proceeds, note how the actors are leaning into the light and it makes their faces look quite frightening and ghoulish. The conversation becomes sinister. They look sinister from the way that they are lit. And it goes from this playful banter between two guys who know each other and have had you know all these great past experiences together, but it, it no longer becomes this dance of the familiar. It becomes this sense of one guy really... Uh, almost blackmailing. It's like, hey, you got to tell me what's happening because you've already told me a little bit of this. Clearly, Nick should not have told this guy anything about what he does because he's about to perform for this very private party from these very private people at this secret location. And every time he does it, something very dubious and uh, uh, <laughs> clearly um, uncouth is happening. And, you know, there's a lot of scenes in this film where like this would be the setup for most films or any kind of thriller. And then in this case, I mean, this movie is almost an hour old at this point and we're already, we're getting into yet another scene that feels like, Oh, yet another big twist, like another big life changing moment is about to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd, Todd Field is playing Nick Nightingale. Todd Field is a director. He's, he was a character actor. He was one of the storm chasers in Twister, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, yeah. You've, you've definitely seen him before. And Todd Field went to direct in the bedroom, which is great. And little children, which is also excellent. He's fantastic. He has a new film coming out next year. His first in years, Todd Field and Marie Richardson. And I mean, all these supporting actors, um, Sidney Pollack, of course, and so on and so forth. They're killing it in these single scenes. I love Todd Field in this scene. I love Marie Richardson as the as the as the daughter of the cadaver who lunges at Bill. There's Lily Sobieski in the following scene. Like there's so many actors who are in for just a couple of scenes, and they are just oh, crushing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I love Todd Field in this movie so much because Dick Nightingale has charisma, but he's also someone like a lot of characters in this movie. He's no he lives in a moral universe. But he does not have a properly wound moral compass. He is willing to, he is willing to live in the darkness and look away when things are mm-hmm. not as they should be. And Bill is, in some cases, you know, following suit. He's every encounter, every moment, every scene in this film. It's it's Bill uh, becoming a little slimier, a little sleazier, being introduced to a world, a lifestyle, a way of thinking that is very very much uh out of whack for a guy this square because this is a very square individual this is this is not cruise as we i mean let's let's face it this was not written for anyone remotely like tom cruise which is why i love him so much in this this was not tailor made for him at all he's playing a character here um famously kubrick said you know when he first thought about making this movie back in the day he thought about woody allen and he thought about steve martin Oh, wow. And you know what? Different movie. Different movie, but you could see it because Dr. Bill is not a heroic figure at all. No. And Cruz is not playing him that way. There's something foolish about this character. Um, He is, in, in some ways, he's really insufferable. He is someone who is so used to his privilege, so used to getting his way, that we see how much it rattles him when... 
when when he is not when the doors are not opened up for him, so to speak, but also how how much this declaration from his wife really screws with him. Oh, it screws with him so much. You know, he's talking to Nick and Nick is like, yeah, I play blindfolded and but sometimes the blindfold doesn't stay on wink, wink. And the women at this party, oh my gosh. And at, you know, you would expect like any normal person to be like, dude, that's freaking weird. You know, like, what are you doing? I hope they're paying you a ton of money because this sounds crazy. But no, he's like, you need to tell me the location of this party. And, you know, I have the password now because he wrote it down on a napkin. And he's like, they'll never connect us. Just tell me, like, we'll just go separately, you know? And I'm thinking, that's insane. It's a great ruse, and it also shows how lacking excitement Dr. Bill's life is, other than saving Victor once again from his hooker problem. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's so crazy to hear about something like that. And then Nick says, well, you, you'd never be able to get in because you have to be masked and costumed. So what does Dr. Bill do? He goes and gets a costume in the middle of the night. He stops at a costume shop that's uh, owned by... Uh, Called Over the Rainbow Costume. Ra- Ra- I, I'm sure I'm not saying his name. Rade Sherbegia, um, who was a character actor and later, like, he actually is in Mission Impossible too, of all things. Um, but he wound up being a very prolific actor. He's a Croatian. He plays the owner of this costume shop. He allows Bill to come in. It's probably the only scene of the movie that's kind of a dead space, but there's there's a lot of key things that happen here. So the scene could be a throwaway, but it's really interesting. I have, watching it last night, I have a new idea about this character because Bill says specifically, I need a mask, I need a hood, I need a tuxedo. And the way the owner of the shop reacts, I don't know, it hit me really different last night. I thought, oh, he's thinking, oh, you're one of those weirdos. You're one of those guys. Oh, we've already had. You don't think that the people at this party own their own masks and... I think everything in this film is connected, and it's because of mm. because of some of the stuff that goes on in this scene and the stuff that goes on. And remember, in the first scene of the film, Bill and Alice are leaving their very comfortable world. Again, I am very envious of this apartment they live in, to be very clear about that. <laughs> but they go to Victor's house. They establish they don't not a soul. They don't know any of these people. This is not their world. This is this is too luxurious for them. But it's also it's also a strange new environment. And I feel like everybody at that environment is connected with the environments that Bill encounters with oh, us tonight. I it's agree. just an idea. No, I think. But I do. Th- I think you can back it up just thinking about these scenes. And there is a, a connectivity to all of these characters, I think I, I think. I think a lot of the people from the Christmas party are at the freaky, yes, deaky at the sex scene party. We're about to get to, yeah. And maybe you're right. But well, think about you know. Let me just jump to it because I don't know if I really want to linger on this part of the film. There's a character in it that's obviously. I mean, it's a bit of a callback to Stanley Kubrick's own adaptation of Lolita. The character is played by Lily Sobieski. She it's almost a silent role, but it's it's established that the owner of the costume shop is literally pimping out his daughter. Yeah, who is presumably underage. Basically, like trafficking situation happening in this costume shop it starts off as like a madcap scene and it's almost it's almost a welcome i mean it's you know obviously it's it's a it's a bit of sleaze but it's almost a welcome bit of madcap comedy because it comes out of nowhere it's so surprising Mm -hmm. and then you know again we're not there yet but the film does call back to these characters and we see oh this is really this is very sick and disturbing very dark yeah which makes me think 
yeah, if, if anybody is helping the operation on the hill, it's this guy. Yeah, but again, I, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I'm just thinking the people that are going to these sex parties, they're... I can't imagine they don't already own. I'm sure. I'm sure they per- They bought it from this guy. Oh, you think they bought their because stuff from of him? the way? Again, you guys say, "Oh, a mask." It's like oh, it seems. I don't know the way the actor plays it, and, it, and, I, and I suspect because I like everything is intentional in this film. I suspect even the actor was like, "I'm going to play it like maybe like oh, you're you're one of those. You're going to that thing. Oh, okay, yes, the the usual." But as it's established, not only is he renting this stuff, but you know, Bill also tips his hat. To get a little ahead of it by arriving in a cab, which none of these, no, 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 none of these high monkey muck freaky deekies are going to do. Coming in, you know, lowered by helicopter, or, you know. <laughs> they they all have chauffeurs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Bill, yeah, he he takes a cab to this party, and he the cab comes to a gate, and there's two guys out there, and he walks up and gives them the password, which is Fidelia. Fidelio. Italian for fidelity. So they're like, very good, sir. We'll take you up to the house. And goes up to the house, gives the password there. They, He puts on his mask. He goes into this room. And this is what I find so profoundly disturbing about this scene. There's like, there's no catering. You notice he like goes like, the guy shows him to the orgy. And there's no like buffet table. Like where's like the lobster? Where's like the guacamole? You know, like there should be a spread, right? No, it's like right this way, sir. It turns a corner and there's like this weird quasi satanic rite going on. I'm like, did everybody already eat? They're like, we're going to have a very elaborate orgy, but ev- empty stomachs for everyone. We can't <laughs> it's risk. It's more sanitary. Yeah, exactly. Way. The cleanup is a lot easier. Yeah. Like it's just so wrong. That's disgusting. <laughs> So, yeah, it is a very disturbing, like, ritual kind of oming. Oming? Yeah, with like, om. om. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what you mean. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> there was nudity and they were oming. It was awful. <laughs> you know what I really hated was the oming. <laughs> well, and the guy has, like, there. there's a, a main guy. Okay, so there's a circle of women, and there's a guy in the middle, and he's got one of those, like, incense things like right. that like, Catholic churches have. Yeah, which it's, is... It's so weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my great mentors, uh, Robert, who, who got me... Really, like, one of my mentors is a teacher who's a brilliant film professor. Robert Van Dasenowski, I'll say his name. He's a brilliant man. He teaches in Colorado. He always told me that this scene really bothers him because of Catholic iconography mm-hmm. in this scene of, of this bizarre ritual. Yeah. 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 It's so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of me is like, oh, this is like too crazy to be real. And then I'm like, I bet there's just like some nasty, freaky elite people who are really doing this stuff. But yeah, man, eyes wide shut party. Huh? Uh, yeah. Go to that Fidelio party tomorrow night. Huh? No, I I don't think they're that like giddy about it. <laughs> but I of course just... not, because there's no snacks. <laughs> like, oh, I hate those parties, man. There's like sex for three hours, and then ten thirty they bring on the food. Oh gosh. Make no. sure you have a big lunch, okay? That's what I suggest, okay? You got to time it just right. <laughs> Well, you know what? It is in the middle of the night, so maybe they think it is they're yeah. trying to save money that way. <laughs> uh, people would be sleeping right now, so we're not going to cater. The mahi is right from Hawaii, so we fly it in. And it doesn't arrive until 4 a.m. Worth it, guys. Worth it, all right? 
Because <laughs> after an all night orgy, I mean, you really get the munchies. So like the sun comes up, the mahi's there, and you know. Oh my gosh! Greatest party ever, Fidelio! Woo! Wow, Fidelio Bros. Okay, but I don't want to like understate how really disturbing this <laughs> whole course. thing is. That's why I'm being silly about it. No, I mean this is this is a very upsetting scene, listeners. Of course, and I think anybody who's seen the film knows what we're talking about. This is yeah. There's, there's not a lot of dialogue. And interesting left that that is uh, it's it's Cruz in this very strange ornate mask, and he's surrounded by a sea of people in strange ornate masks. Some of them see Bill; they kind of give him this nod. It's it's strange because why do they notice him? But it, he yeah. sticks out immediately. That is the thing. Why do they notice him? Yeah, I have indeed. no idea. Oh, I have an idea for that. Oh, you do. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so then. There is one of the prostitutes, I guess. I don't really know what to call these women because I don't know really who they are, except that Victor calls them that later in the film. So, okay. Um, She comes up to him and she's like, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. You have to leave. And to be clear, everyone at this party, whether they are in a tuxedo... Presumably, the men are all in tuxedo, masks, and capes. The women, even though they're stark nakers, they are wearing these <laughs> ornate <Nakers>. masks. <laughs> yeah. So you don't see anybody's face. Yeah. So yeah. it is very, very curious that, uh, yeah, that this that this particular woman singles him out. Although there is a moment to there's a moment where someone and you pointed this out where someone is nodding at Bill. Bill returns the nod silently during the ritual. And then later, Bill is just like walking around at, at this orgy. And I don't know, to be, to be clear about this, if, if those of you listening are like, oh my gosh, they're talking about the orgy. Here's the thing, listeners. Like for those of you who haven't seen this film, you're like, I don't know if I really want to see this. Here's the thing. With the nudity in this movie, the sexual content in this movie, the emphasis is fear. This is not titillating. This is not meant to be erotic. I don't think on any planet you would call this an erotic film. It's disturbing. It's meant to be upsetting. It's meant to be kind of scary. And that is the feeling that Kubrick gives this. The music is eerie. The the There's a good, good, good deal of shadow in the lighting. So there's something nightmarish about all of this. The feeling is that you should not be seeing this. Bill should not be here. The sense of like, what is this guy doing here? But he's also fascinated not aroused but fascinated by this world that he should not be in he's a total tourist here um so just to be clear about that you know again i'm I'm trying to be as 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 tongue-in-cheek about this because i love the film and i don't want to drown us in in talking about oh the brilliance of it but the orgy scene is upsetting because it's supposed to be upsetting and that's Mm -hmm. always been my thing about this movie like look i know people like don't want to see a movie that has this stuff in it but Kubrick is not being stupid here. He's not trying to like make some sexy movie like everybody thought he was. Um, this is as dark as it gets for Bill. This mm. is a world that he should not be here. Yeah. He is he is a tourist in hell and he needs to get out of here. He immediately. does. And he they do say like you don't belong here. Like Yeah. So then they bring Bill back into the weird like ceremony room and So the model warns him you need to get out of here she warns him a couple times a couple times yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's very yeah, it's uh yeah it's very 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 peculiar so it's interesting this is the one shot of the film that doesn't involve dr bill tom cruise isn't in it there's a shot of presumably the more chaste part of this orgy where it's just folks slow dancing naked with masks on and yes. you see what's going on and no. nick nightingale oh. is blindfolded and he's being oh. escorted out oh. it's the only scene in the film 
I didn't notice him being escorted out. He's there. being he's blindfolded and he's being you know very forcefully escorted out because of the orgy because they realize... they're like you schmuck you invited There's this guy this... you're the reason this guy with the cab is outside mm-hmm. and yeah we have this intruder here you're, you told our secret mm-hmm. right yeah so it's 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 curious because again like you know if this is all from Bill's perspective then why is this there that's an interesting detail so. Cruz, as as Dr. Bale is being led down this hallway, which we immediately see what he's seeing, and it's a all big a big uh oh moment where and suddenly the movie's piano theme kicks in, which is very eerie. And Bill is he's basically the jig is up, everybody has stopped having sex, which I'm sure was like, shake the come on into the room. We have an intruder. Yeah, I mean, is there like I don't know, is like alarm for that? That's that's a whole other movie, right? So <laughs> Okay, okay, people, it's over. <laughs> we have an intruder. Intruder time. You know the drill. So, so Doctor Bell is led into this room where he's surrounded by these masked figures, and it's it could not be more intense because nobody's taking their mask off. Everybody's masked, and as you said, a key a key detail: the color red of the door. Well, the the head of this thing, who's identified in the credits as Red Cloak, played by Leon Vitale. He is wearing a red cloak. He has a uh, a golden mask. Like uh, I mean, you know, obviously there's there's all sorts of connotations with that uh, biblically. You know, thinking of like you know the what he's the devil, a version of the devil. Yeah the the equivalent of yes. the devil for this scene. Yes. to make to make that obviously I would very agree clear. With yeah, that. I don't think you would disagree with that. And so it's it's a pretty amazing sequence um, because if anything, whatever you feel about the orgy scene. Here, I mean, the movie is like splashed us with a cold shot of water, and it's it's that way for Doctor Bill as well. He, the jig is up; he's been found out. Um, it's a very it's very theatrical. It's very uh, it's very much like 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 evil pageantry, mm-hmm. where he he demands him yeah. he demands the the password. The password. Bill thinks he knows it. Mm-hmm. What's the other password? Of course, he doesn't know. It. And it's like the easiest trick. Of course, there's no second password. You idiot. How'd you get in here? Um, clearly, Bill hasn't been to enough orgies. Doesn't know how it works. Yeah. So it's it gets ugly because and it's a detail that bo- really bothered me last night. Like, oh, like they're telling him to take off all of his clothes as a punishment, and you're going like, are they going to molest him? To put it one way, are they going to beat him? Are they going to kill him? What yeah, like, is about to like, happen? What are they going to do? It's very upsetting. Yeah, it's it it's so upsetting, and uh, you know, I, I love I, I love the way Cruz is playing it because this is a guy who is used to being in control. This is a guy who's used to like you just show your little past, you say that I'm a doctor, you look them in the eye, you will always get your way, it'll always end with a handshake. This is a guy who nothing is working. He is about to die or be raped or or worse if that's possible. And what happens uh, from a balcony above the prostitute or or uh, you know what however the one who's been warning the him. one who's been warning him who's wearing this giant peacock mask <laughs> she says i shall redeem him and by the way this fascinates me so two years ago now it was two yeah two years ago now it was revealed after after over a decade of secrecy that this was this character was voiced by Kate blanchett mm. Because she was a friend of Kidman's and was established that even though she's Australian, she can do an American accent really well. Which is funny because this movie is supposed to take place in New York and most of the characters are European. So figure that out. And the movie was shot in England. So, you know, one of the criticisms of the movie, like, it doesn't feel like New York. Well, it, it's supposed to feel like a dream, you idiots. The movie's a masterpiece. Wow, so anyway. Okay. So there we go. Tell us how you really how feel. How I really feel. <laughs> the critics are wrong. That's how I felt in 99. So anyway, 
Yeah, so so it's it is it's very theatrical the way it happens, where she says, "I will, God, I will redeem him. I'll take his place." And a character a character appears who looks almost like a vulture. He has a vulture like beak. That's his mask, and he's shown in silhouette. Takes her away. It's it's like a like a Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. It's very strange. It's and very, they're very like, strange. okay, and he's like, what's going to happen to her? And they're basically like, it's done. Red Cloak says, yeah, yeah. her fate has been decided. Fa- yeah, you, you get if, out yeah, of here. There's you nothing, ever tell anyone. Don't you'll ever come die back. Dire consequences. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That you, yeah, it's great. Your lips are sealed and forget about this night forever. <laughs> yeah, it's an agonizingly suspenseful scene. It's great. And then what happens? Bill just you know, opens the door of his apartment and he's back home. He's back home. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And then... Because he didn't get to see like the cab driver going, what happened, man? (laughs) (laughs) These people with masks and no clothes came out and they told me to get you. Like, yeah. Did he give the cab driver his... The other half of the hundred that he he promised him? I know. We don't know. He was like, sorry, I I, I lost it. We're going to take all my clothes. Uh, (laughs) Can you like drive me to like Philly and I can just walk home? (laughs) So he, but he walks in to his bedroom where Alice is sleeping and yeah. she's having a nightmare and she starts laughing hysterically and he's like, no, wake up, wake up. Um, I think you're having a nightmare. And then she starts telling him about this horrible dream that she had. Um, I don't know if we want to get into the dream because it is disturbing. The details of the dream are very important. She tells it's. God, it's a fascinating scene because for one thing, I love this film, but man, this movie needed more Nicole Kidman. She's incredible. I agree with she, that. It really, she's so good in this. And this she's scene so is good. amazing. She's waking up from this dream and she's recalling it to her husband. She's so disturbed by the dream. And, you know, and, and Bill obviously just had a very upsetting night of his own. But he's listening to her tell this story. And it has very specific details about... She had a dream about fi- uh, uh, They having, didn't have their clothes. They're in, a, he, in an abandoned city. He she, went to go find clothes. She finds the naval guy. And again, he's... But the, the naval officer is now laughing at her. And But then they end up having sex. And then she's and then, surrounded by people having sex. And, and she's having sex with tons of people. But then she laughs at Dr. Bill. And then that's when... He woke her up. Yeah. It's a very, I mean, she goes And it's upsetting because more the scene began with him walking into the bedroom and she's laughing audibly in her sleep and realized that's what it was. Mm-hmm. We were, we were in a deserted city and, and our clothes were gone. Kid. And, and I was terrified. And I and I felt ashamed.
and I was lying in a in a beautiful garden, stretched out naked in the sunlight. And a man walked out of the woods. He was... He was the man from the hotel, the one I told you about. The naval officer. He... He stared at me. And then he just laughed. He just laughed at me. <laughs> it's so disturbing and it's great because it's, she's like, I got nothing to tell you. Good night. You know, like, when, when, how do you follow that up? Oh, right. And she's clearly so distressed about this dream. And I remember the first time I saw this, I remember just being just ice cold in my seat. I'm like, oh my gosh, was she there? Was she at the orgy? Oh, you thought that? That was the first time. The first time I saw this film, I thought, that was she there? Is this her way of telling him? Was she somehow, was oh, it like wow. psychically there? Because the details that she tells him, they are, they're very peculiar. They they really reflect being in an abandoned city, um, you know, encountering, you know, uh, sexual encounters that go awry. It felt like a reflection of everything that, that Dr. Bill had just been through, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the first time I saw this movie, I thought, was she there? I mean, is she in this whole thing? Is she a part of this conspiracy? Whatever it is, I think the answer is no. To be to be plain about I it, I think it. I think it's no. I think but it's that's no. an interesting thought. But yeah, the first time I saw this, I'm like, oh man, this is so creepy. And you know, and it's the way in the film literally says it in the last couple moments. It's the way dreams and reality are kind of flowing in and out of this film. Um, mm-hmm. And the movie never makes a distinguish distinguishment when one is the other. Because on the one hand, Bill is having those fantasies about his wife with the naval officer and there are these heart or these hurtful fantasies to him but you know something we should be conscious of is the movie isn't telling us explicitly that it didn't happen or I, that it did happen okay well we don't really know the movie my, doesn't really tell us so he may what we see him fantasizing I think it does tell could, us well, they maybe okay know. you know because those fantasies they may very well be flashbacks they're, but they're from his mind, not hers. Yeah, but we might be seeing something that actually happened, and then we're just seeing the way that he visualizes them. Yeah, but when she talks, when she tells the Cape Cod story, she says she was willing to risk it all, but she didn't have to. Can we believe her? Because she was so relieved that he left. Oh, you think she's lying to him? If you men only knew. Yeah, about what women fantasize about. Yeah, but. Is she telling the truth? He just told her that, oh, yeah, man, I was with my buddy Victor Ziegler at the party. But yeah, Not he's, meant- he's the liar. He is like, but I mean, they've been together a long time. You're saying deception can't go two ways. Oh, if you women only knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she offers him the truth willingly. She didn't have to tell him that story. I think she, I think a way to look at it is she's, it's a game of one upmanship, right? Because she is, on the one hand... He's, what, because she thinks he just had a threesome? No. I think oh. he's being so puppy dog earnest in his declaration of unfailing love and fidelity. I think she's like, oh, well, you don't really know me because here's this. Because I 
do sometimes fantasize about those things. Not that she actually went through with it. You sure? Yeah. That's what I think happened. Okay. I think that the thought of her cheating on him. No. The thought of her thinking about cheating on him is what he's thinking about. Because he's like, oh my gosh. I think he's thinking about what she what he thinks she was fantasizing about but he has no idea what she was actually fantasizing about she didn't get into explicit detail with him right about what her fantasy was just that she was willing to just have like one night of you know one night of sex with this stranger you know but considering this is a man who's who's obviously not only aware of his own natural charms, but aware of how beautiful his wife is, clearly, I'm. This is clearly a guy who is easily rattled at the thought of someone else being with his wife, because again, this is someone who has been so used to the very carefully built palace of a life that he's living. Yeah. So yeah, the thought of her. Yeah. Yeah. Is enough. I'm to, not disagreeing with that. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't think she actually cheated on him from how she told that story i didn't get that she was not telling him everything but i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe i need to listen to her monologue again i don't know do we need to watch it for a fourth time no i'm down right now (laughs) okay so she gets done telling him about another dream and they go back and to Dr. Bill's like, I gotta go take another walk through New York <laughs> City alone. <laughs> He's just like, I can't handle your dreams and your fantasies. You're driving me nuts. I'm gonna have another late night odyssey through New York and go to another orgy. <laughs> Get this out of my system. Oh my gosh. This is how fragile Dr. Bill is, okay? <laughs> he can't even handle her thoughts. Much less her actions. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, no, I, I this this is interesting to me. I mean, I, look, Kubrick was married to Christian Kubrick since 1958 until his death in 1999. Um, he had two, I believe, two lovely, lovely daughters, one of which her paintings are the ones that are in the movie, and they're beautiful. Um, this is, a, you know, and he, uh, he lived in uh, Europe for a good portion of his life. Brooklyn guy. Um there's something, you know, for all the things about his movie that are progressive and radical, there's something very old-fashioned about Stanley Kubrick. And I feel like this movie is, of all things, it's a love letter to marriage, to fidelity, to to having, you know, to embracing what you have, normalcy, to loving the person you're with despite all the mysteries within. There's something, you know, for a guy who just get off course for a second for a guy who made movies about going to the farthest reaches of the cosmos or the horrors of the, of war and you know the the you know the horrors of the human mind his final film is you know about the most exotic place of all the bedroom and he didn't make a movie that was specifically about sex but about the promise of sex the excitement of sex and also the danger of sex which is very old fashioned Mm. he's i mean this is a you know there's something very again like this movie has a moral center which is interesting because it this movie is as cold as any film by kubrick is cold visually cold or emotionally cold it is aloof at times the characters are aloof at times but it does have this emotional center and a lot of that has to do with nicole kidman's character 
because as much as she clearly enjoys taunting her husband, she's a great wife and a great woman. And the film, you know, doesn't demonize her. She's not henpecking him. Um, she's challenging him and he's not up to it. No, he's not. Because the next day he goes to work and he's sitting in his office and he's like, who's coming in this afternoon? Cancel the rest of my day. I mean, he's got some mysteries to solve and he's going to go back to every place that he went the day before, the night before, and like figure it out. And this is when we think it's going to be a Tom Cruise movie about a guy who's going to go write the rights and take on the big guys. This is going to be like The Firm, right? Right. No. Not no, at all. Nothing. No. Nothing Nothing that you think is going to happen, happens. Yes. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> so he goes back. He goes back to all the places. So where does he... I think the first thing he does is goes back to the rainbow room. Oh, yeah. Where the rainbow and ends. And he returns his costume. And this is where he learns that the guy who runs the place is pimping out his daughter, played by Lily Sobieski. And that also that really made me think, like, I'll bet he has some connection to those sleazy parties that are happening upstate. Because not only did he very quickly have exactly the kind of costume that Cruz's character needed, but he didn't even question it. Like, why do you need a tux, a mask, and a cape? And oh, you're one of those. In the middle of the night. And then, oh, and you have all this money. You're willing to pay $200 on top of the fee. Yeah, oh, you're, yeah. you're one of those Dr. Weirdos. Bill also has unlimited cash in that wallet throughout this film. He What does he have? $1,000 in there? I mean, he just keeps... He's able to pay for the prostitute. He's able to pay for all the... Just everything. You know, in my mind, I've always envisioned that rich people have, like, wallets like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's probably no truth to that at all. But I assume, like, if I meet, like, George Clooney and take away his wallet, I'd be like, there's $8,000 in here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, George Clooney. Okay, so he... And he realizes that he's lost the mask. Yes. And... That mask was only $35. I mean, maybe. Again, it's that... $19.99. All right. Maybe that was a lot of money back then for a mask, but still, seems a little cheap. I don't know. So then he decides he's going to go back to the Sonata room and talk to Nick, but it's closed. He doesn't know where Nick is. So he finds out where he was staying and he goes to the, what? It's like a hotel? Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. hotel he is in the lobby of the hotel, and a, a, a doorman played by Alan Cumming uh, helps him. Yeah. And without making too much of a point of it, but it, it really needs to be pointed out. I mean, there's a scene earlier in the film where Bill is bullied by a group of young frat boys who are homophobic, and they throw homophobic slurs at him for no reason. And in this scene, Alan Cumming's character is clearly flirting with tom cruise these two scenes i mean these are two things that have never happened and never will happen again in a tom cruise movie Mm -hmm. he is always played i mean not you know more than anything it's not just that cruise has always played these hyper masculine characters you never question their sexuality even an interview with the vampire where the character is supposed to be bisexual and he wasn't in that film but this is a movie where cruise is playing a guy who uh, he is vulnerable and i always love it when cruise does that he's not just vulnerable he's kind of a bumbling fool in so many cases mm-hmm. he is uh he thinks he's the master of of the universe he thinks he's master of his domain but he's he's not a good detective he's you know i mean the fact that he can't even find the mask after the orgy what a huge slip up that is um it's again like, i can't even tell you how much pleasure i take from watching a movie star who's one of the most iconic of my generation probably like the john wayne or the clint eastwood of my generation 
and to see him in a film where he's acting as I would in this situation. <laughs> you know, you know when you watch those thrillers and it's a murder story and it's like, man, this guy's like leaving his thumbprints everywhere and like, oh, he's like can't even can't even conceal the body and he just, you know, I love those kinds of movies because I'm thinking, if I ever made this kind of awful moral compromise, and I hope and pray I never do, this is relatable. And in this case, like with Dr. Bill, I'm like, yeah, this this guy is making very human mistakes. Yeah, and he keeps pulling out his, you his know, ID, like it's gonna New the badge York that opens every door, registered, yep. you know, doctor card, <laughs> and he shows it to Alan Cumming, and then Alan tells him, yeah, you know, there was a guy. He checked out and he had a black eye and these guys took him and I don't know where he went. And and he's just like flirting with Dr. Bill the whole time. It's fabulous. Yeah. The, yeah. Coming is so funny in this scene. And the scene is funny just because Bill doesn't even seem completely aware that this guy is being so flirtatious with him because Bill is in his Dr. Bill mode of like, look, I'm used to getting what I want. This is my badge. You're I just going to you're I gonna need information. Me. Yeah, yeah. 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 So... Then he goes and gets a newspaper, I think. And yeah, this is this is the scene at night. Yeah. Yeah, where he's being stalked by a man in the distance. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, he gets a newspaper, he goes into this this cafe at night to kind of hide from the person who was stalking him. Oh, the, and the cover of the paper, it's the New York Post. It, it says, says Lucky to be alive. Lucky yeah. to be alive. Mm-hmm. And then he he sits down at a cafe and he reads about the death of like a former beauty queen, Amanda Curran, yeah, mm-hmm. who he who he believes is the the woman who tried to save him at the party. Yes, and so then he gets a call from Victor. Well, he goes to the morgue. Oh yeah, he goes to the morgue. That's right. He goes to the morgue, and there he's like, "I'm her doctor." Or am I jumping ahead? Has he gone to see Domino yet? Oh no, he has to go see Domino first. Yeah, and he's uh, doc. He, yeah, you're right. He goes to Domino before he gets the newspaper. But Domino's not there. And it's her roommate. Played by Faye Masterson. Very and good in this. He's like he brings like a what, a box of pastries or something. Chocolates for her. or something. I don't know. Yeah. And he's like, It's it's Doctor Bill and she's like, Oh, you're a Doctor Bill? And he's like, Yeah. She's like, Wow, thanks for being so nice to her. You know, do you wanna come in? And the minute he walks into that apartment, I mean, they are just like wanting to get it on. Yeah, it's back to Dr. Bill having this insane pull over anyone he's in a room with. And he's just like feeling her up. And she you can tell she's just like, I really want to do this. But she's like, I got to tell you something. Domino was she she's found out she has she has HIV. Yeah. And I, I want to tell you because you were with her last night. And he doesn't tell her. No, I we didn't do anything. He doesn't tell her. Anything. Yeah. He yeah. Doesn't tell her that. No, it. Again, a very well-played moment because it, it goes from him being very playful and flirtatious with her because he's like, whatever she's going to tell me, it's going to be something wonderfully dirty and it's going to be great. And Yeah. No, and uh, yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's yet like another- It's like the worst news Another splash of cold water in yeah. his face. Yeah. He's like, oh man. All right. That's not good. So then- <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Never going to see you two again. Yeah. And then he gets the newspaper. He he reads about the beauty queen. He goes to the hospital. Again, flashes his badge and lies and says he was her doctor. And the lady at the hospital is like, well, she died. So he goes into the morgue and sees her. And 
I found it weird because normally when they pull bodies out of those drawers, they're covered with a sheet. And it's just her, just totally naked, which I thought, that's kind of a strange thing, which maybe goes to your idea at the end about the whole premise of this film. Because there's no way, they, they always have sheets on them, every time. And then they pull it back and it's like, is this the person Right. that... You know, is this the person? Can you identify the body? Unless then, they're like, this is how she would have wanted it. As she was in life. Oh my god. <laughs> That's so awful. Amanda really had a disdain for clothing. Yeah. So he, um, it's very strange because he kind of like looks at her. We think he's going to kiss the corpse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's very odd. It's the very coroner odd. is looking away and yeah, he's having this moment where he's, his face is getting closer and closer and closer. Um, and what? His, then it, does his phone ring? As he's leaving, he's walking out and the phone okay. rings and yeah, and, and Victor wants to see him. Yeah. Okay. So he goes back to Victor's house. And let's talk right about that key moment. A red pool table. A red Victor pool is, table. Yeah. Once again, the color red. Um, and by the way, a pool is my game. I love pool. I played it for so much of my life. I'm really good at it. I miss playing it. Never in my life have I ever seen a red pool table. Mm. Never. No, I, I don't think. Yeah. I think that was made for this movie. I think so. Especially. Yeah, yeah. Well mm-hmm. done, Mr. Kubrick. Um, so Victor, as to remind you, is played by the wonderful, the late, great uh, Sidney Pollock, the award-winning director, and who is a wonderful character actor. And his scene with Cruz is, it, this is one of the, you know, you could say this about a lot of scenes in this film, I suppose, but this is one of the key scenes in the film where this brotherly, maybe even like a quasi father-son relationship between the two of them, their relationship is grossly compromised by what is revealed. And, and ultimately, Victor tells tells Dr. Bill, um, you know, you were in a lot of danger the other night. I don't know. I, know. I don't know. What I know you were there. I don't know how in the world you you got there until I realized that piano player. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, the the conversation sort of escalates, and then Bill does the smartest thing he's ever done in the film, which is he gets he gets Victor to confess that uh, confess that the prostitute who you know had that big showy moment of of I will redeem you. Um, he gets him to confess that, you know, she was brought back to her apartment and all this stuff. And he says, you know, well, if the whole thing was a charade, then how does a charade end up with somebody dead? Mm-hmm. And and that's when Victor drops the bomb. Like, oh, yeah, you know her. She was, she was the one of the party, the she one that was, you saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, she was a drug addict. And yeah. That's how she died. Dr. Bill has his back turned to him. And it's it. I, I love this. I mean, I, I'm very moved by it. honestly, Bill is trying to keep himself together. But this is this is destroying him. Yeah. And this is where Victor just says, you know, people die every day. You're like, wow, dude. Until they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, OK. Que sera, sera, kid. That's that's yeah. why, you know, I don't believe that in the beginning you asked, like, did he have feelings for Mandy, the prostitute? Or Amanda, whatever. And I said, no, because he's so callous and cold during this conversation with Dr. Bill that I just don't think... I think he treats all these women as just disposable. No, I don't think he has feelings for her, but I do feel like this might be one that he... This could be the... One exception? This could be... No, he just... He doesn't... But, 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 if... 
it was indeed Victor at the orgy looking at him, making eye contact, as you surmise, which I think is a really interesting idea. That could very well be it. He brings her to him when he's at the orgy. He's the creepy figure with that block face mask who brings her when she's wearing her peacock mask and nothing else to 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 find him and to pull him away. I wonder if he's like, hey, Mandy, it's him. We need to orchestrate. Somehow we know it's him. Get him out of here. He's going to get killed if he doesn't get out of here. You need to pull him aside and da da da. We're going to do this whole thing because I I mean, rather than than refer to the late Amanda Curran as a mis- as a, as a, as a as a prostitute i think we could call her a mistress perhaps she was his mistress maybe maybe it's one of these situations where even the wife is like you know like like victor's oh, wife there's is- no way victor's wife doesn't know he's messing around yeah or, or maybe like it's one of these situations like you know well as as long as as long as victor's happy no no she's not saying that she's saying as long as i get my you know monthly allowance i don't care you think all oh, these things like if, if victor ever went down an enron style she'd be like one of those ladies like i'm used to a certain yes wave. oh 100 yeah. i'm used, certain, yes. used to a certain lifestyle yes i love my parties where there's lights yes. everywhere and mm-hmm. victor vanishes for hours at a time i i get like a twenty thousand dollar a month like hair nail clothing budget that's totally mm. what that how she would be and i feel like we've really judged this character we only saw in one scene well, there's no way she doesn't know these things. You don't think? No. I mean, I, if this movie's telling us anything, is that, you know, married couples, they sometimes keep things from each other. I think she, if she... I wouldn't know what that's about, but, you know, I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there. Okay, since I don't, since you're right, we saw Victor's wife for like three seconds. Yes. Um, I feel we can't judge her because we, we just don't know no, her. No, we can't judge her, but I'm not judging anybody in this movie. I'm saying... I think it's okay if you do. They're fictional characters. Who cares? Who cares? But I'm saying a, a woman like this, who's married to a guy like that, even if she doesn't know the details, she knows shady things are happening, and she know like, and but she's getting money. She's she has a way of life, so she's not going to say too much. You know, that's what I'm saying. Okay, she's going to put up with a certain amount of like. Okay, this boys will be boys type of situation mm. because of all the perks she's got a lot of perks that's what i think yeah and then she's yeah. always like he's gone for like an hour and then dr bill always shows up <laughs> and he's always sneaking this body-sized carpet out the back door it's so funny oh, it keeps man. happening i wonder what it could be yeah. oh well i yeah. love this new tennis court he's putting in <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All right, so yeah, so it so it ends. Yeah, it, it, the scene is is it's a drawn out scene. I love it. The tension of it. Pollock is fantastic in this scene. So good, and Cruz is too. So Doctor Bill goes home, and we get this really nice long shot where he goes to the apartment. Everyone's asleep. The apartment is very much lived in, and he just hasn't been there. He sits down as any any doctor would at the end of the day, and he gets out a get out a can of Bud Light and yeah. slurps it down. Okay. I just love that because I'm like I've never seen. I'm like what? I haven't type? seen I haven't seen Cruz drink a beer in a movie in so long. I'm like, oh wow, he's what? like eating real food here. And I mean, he's coming home in the middle of the night. Yeah. And just like chugging a beer. I don't know, like on an empty stomach. That just seems like not. I don't know. For... How many calories in a beer? I don't drink I don't beer, know. so I don't really know. I'm not talking about the calories. I'm just thinking like, oh, is this just... like med school food? Like, oh man, back in my Nick Nightingale Nick Nightingale days, like you know, uh, maybe. have some bro food. I don't know. 3 a.m. beer. 3 a.m. beer just doesn't sound good. Okay. But then he goes into his bedroom where... Alice Alice is asleep. Yeah, and the mask. 
The mask is perfectly placed on the pillow right next to her. Yeah. A lot of possibilities here, one of which is that Alice found the mask and was like looking at it, hmm, had placed it on the pillow and just kind of fell asleep and forgot about it. A possibility that because, did we mention that that Dr. Bill went back to the house? Did we talk about that? Oh, no. Yeah, it went we back. We forgot. Sorry, sorry, Vault listeners. There's a lot of lot of events here. So one of the things that happens during Bill's venture out to find out what happens is he goes back to the house where the orgy took place. He's, he stopped at the gate. Yeah, he goes there right after he leaves the office. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Forgive, forgive us Yeah, for, yeah. for overlooking that. And he's given a uh, an envelope. With his name on it. And everything's yeah. typed out. Typed out, yes. Which is like, oh, we kind of expected he would be coming yeah, back we know, here. Yeah, because they know who he is, and it's like, look, like we, we give this out to everybody, but hey, you got another one of our threat notes, which is that, you know, dire consequences if you look into this matter any further. You know, very, very vague, but extremely menacing and scary. So the other idea with the mask is that Alice fell asleep. One of the people from the party showed up at her apartment, put that there. Oh, really? If we're going to look at this as a thriller, yeah. Hmm. Or the idea that I've been entertaining since 1999, the mask isn't there. Mm. I don't think it's there. I think he sees the mask in the way you see, you know, a representation of guilt after, you know, after you think you're responsible for someone's murder. Yeah, I kind of am going with that theory, too, because Alice doesn't acknowledge it. And it's a heck of a thing to not go. But, you know, but again, I think the film plays fair with this because she wakes up. She sees her husband bawling and Cruz is really going for it here. She sees her husband bawling. Cruz gets in the fetal position and tells his wife, I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you everything. And then it cuts to the next morning. Yes. And we see that Alice has been you know, crying. Very upset. Um, a detail that I'll get into later. But I'll, I'll kind of hint at the. How much later? <laughs> This is the end. All right. Well, one of the <laughs> mysteries of this film, which which uh, I uh, I wonder what he told her. Mm. We don't know. Yeah, so right. there's a lot of possibilities here. You're about right. we don't know what he. Told we don't her. know what we know. We look. We see the look on her face. I think is a clear indication that whatever he told her, it was so upsetting and shattering. It's she's like, oh well, touche. I guess my but, naval officer story was uh, was not the most shocking thing that we can yeah, talk about. I mean, literally. She could have cried over like one piece of his night. <laughs> There's all sorts of details. It could have just details. been like the domino thing, you know? He could it's have... like the worst thing that happened. Like, like, like the body was right there. And then she told me that she loved me. And then Carl came in. And, oh. oh, yeah. It could have been, could have been Marion kissing him. Yeah. That could have been it. That could have been all it could he told. Yeah, been, we don't know. It could have been paying Domino for sex he didn't even get. One like, of the, I mean, I wrote down in my notes, like the two big questions is, is was she lying? Is her story of the naval officer true or not? That's a big question. The film does not tell us. And then we don't know what he told her. So it's, again, like I feel like the language of the film, and look, if you want to take this movie at face value, good luck. I don't think the movie works quite that way. But if you do, then all right then maybe he just told her the entire plot of the film and Kubrick is simply getting that great reaction shot of of Kidman to indicate that. But I don't know. I don't know. Because mm. these characters are clearly not always telling each other the truth. And we, we've yeah. seen that in a demonstrative way. That's a way. really good point because I always just thought, oh, okay, we're just, you know, he's not going to like show, tell us everything yeah. we just saw. Right. You know, okay, and then I went here. And then and I went then... to the costume store, and then I ripped a $100 bill in half. I can't believe I did that, and I gave it to the cabbie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. doesn't recall the entire... Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, again, like, it's Kubrick. 
is choices are deliberate. You just never know. Um, so the last scene of the film is it's oh, yeah. morning. Our daughter Helena wants to go Christmas shopping. She's expecting us. We have to do it. So it, the last scene of the film takes place in this elaborate toy store. I guess it's it's like a department like, store. like an FAO Schwartz, although it's or a Macy's it, it or something. looks a lot more claustrophobic than I remember FAO Schwartz. But whatever, they're walking around, and the little girl is looking at a teddy bear. And she also like, looks at I a, want this. I want that. And a fairy godmother. And of I've never course, been more annoyed with a child in a movie. Oh really? Oh, yeah. I think the daughter's adorable. No, because I'm like. I want these. I want to hear what these two are going to say. And she keeps like interrupting oh, okay. with her like stupid toys. Oh, no. Because I, I like, I go, sh- I mean, this is what it's like every time I go with Beatrice, okay. like, like toy section. But this is like what it's like when you and I are trying to have <laughs> oh, conversation. Like, a serious conversation yeah, yeah. and we keep getting interrupted. And I'm like, I just want to like. <laughs> you really want to hear what Bill and Alice are saying. Yeah. Got I it, really want to hear what right, they're saying. Right. And, and this. Kid is just like in the way. All right, so <laughs> not to belabor it any longer. Final conversation of the film. They they have a talk where she says, you know, uh, let's basically put this behind us. No, Sometimes- no, he says, what do you want to do? Ah, yeah, because he's like, we have a problem here, or he's thinking we have a problem, right? I guess mm-hmm. that's kind of how I took it. Yeah, and he's like, so what do you want to do? And she's like, I think we should be grateful. I think we should be grateful for what we have, for what didn't happen you know and i think we need to go home and get it on basically and that's that's yeah the last line in the movie the last line in a kubrick film is the fudge word oh it's so great (laughs) the guy who directed spartacus it's his last movie that ends with the f dash 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 word oh it's great not that so not that yeah so um yeah so i don't think this movie could be taken literally because at the party how on earth do they recognize bill under that mask it doesn't seem possible. Oh, it is obviously yeah. a dream, obviously a fantasy. There's no, I mean, even if they're like, huh, that guy got here late and he missed the fish and chips. I'm like, no, like, <laughs> clearly, clear. I mean, like, whatever. He's in a mask and a hood. He looks as creepy and ominous as the rest of them. Perhaps that he got there late. And of course, as they say, like, you arrived in a cab, we have limos. Yeah, but still, there is an indication, if not an outright suggestion, that they know it's him. Yeah. And that, you know, and that she knows it's him. That they know it's him before he takes his mask off at the very exactly. last part and, of yeah. the party. Right. And the coincidences, uh, the two models, if you will, at the beginning of the film, who I suspect are also a part of the party and the party going, they tell Dr. Bill they're going to take him to where the rainbow ends. The rainbow room is the name of the costume shop. A very... I think a clear indication that perhaps this is part of the fantasy. This was an idea that was planted in Bill's head. Um, the whole costume shop incident. Mm. Um, Bill has a hero complex because he's a doctor. Not there's nothing wrong with doctors. I'm not, I'm not making a blanket statement. I just mean that you know Bill is not only used to getting things done his way, but he's used to being the hero, the provider, the guy who's in in charge of his whole life. So, so you know this whole thing of I'm ready to redeem him. Um, it feels like a fantasy, doesn't yeah, it? On yes. some level, there's something very fantasy like it. The use of red is very disturbing because not only is it an indication of danger, clear indication of danger, but by the way, um, uh, Dom- uh, Domino's roommate, Bill's wife, the girl he saves, um, and also the girl who saves him, as well as his daughter, they all have red hair. Oh. What does that mean? That's interesting. That's a oh. deliberate choice. 
Yeah. Yeah, because that's Faye Masterson, who plays Domino's roommate, who comes on in very red hair. So does Nicole Kidman. So does his daughter. So does the woman at the party who saves him and the woman at the party who he saves at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, so I, I just feel like if you want to look at this film and take it at face value, I feel like this is where you understand why critics in 1999 are like, it lacks some things. <laughs> Fine. I feel like because the movie has been, ex- the film is explicitly about dreams and the effects of fantasies and the effects of, you know, allowing uh, okay, superficial but, expectations but and fantasies to. Where does the dream start and end? Great question. That's my problem with your theory. Why? Is is the whole thing a dream? No. No, I, I think, I think up to the point where Bill leaves. And uh, oh, with the first phone call, the first phone call, the first phone call, rather, yeah. because as as well constructed as that scene is, and as you know, again, it's kind of a madcap quality to the fact that she's throwing herself at him as her father's corpse is right there on the bed. Um, that could even be a fantasy that he had about her. Mm. This could be like one of these patients, like, man, I've always had a thing for that for that 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 guy's daughter. Like, oh, she's so hot. So he's having this fantasy on the cab ride over. Like, what if she like? What if this was the moment where she threw him? Because again, what a male fantasy that is. Like, I don't want to be with Carl. I want to be with you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah. And of course, he meets a prostitute who you know looks like Vanessa Shaw in New York. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I mean, know. like this is. I mean. You know, with all due respect to to Vivian, but like, I mean, she puts pretty woman to shame. I mean, you know, she and she looks gorgeous and glamorous, and this is this is a woman of the night, as I used to say. I mean, sure, movie. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I I don't I don't think anything happens. I think this is a guy who is shattered by the revelation that his wife gives him, and I think he's on this long odyssey, this mental. So do you think his odyssey? Cerebral so do you odyssey. think he's just like? Walking around New York, yes. thinking about all yes. this stuff. Yes, he's just walking around having these thoughts. And the echoes of the party, the echoes of the models coming on to him, the models wanting to have group sex with him, the models, and not to mention knowing that that Victor is immoral and that he's in an immoral world, a moral world of strangers. I think it's constructing this fantasy, this you know, this extended fantasy, which is everybody as elaborate and hurtful as the one that his wife revealed to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it screws with him because this is a guy who's had so much of his life go exactly as he wanted. And, you know, it's this whole experience, as well as his wife's declaration, is what makes him go, wow, I've, you know, I've got it really good. Because look how, look how south, how quickly south this can go just because of temptation, just because of the longing for adventure, the longing for something out of the normal. Look how badly my life can go if I travel you know, past the okay, but, Central Park West <laughs> exit. So, okay. I can I can see, like, the first part of him, like, leaving after that conversation. And I can see how all that could be a fantasy. But then the, the day after that, where he's going back to all the places. He goes back to his office. You think he's just in his office? I think he's just in like, his office thinking dreaming. About dreaming? Thinking. Because that's what oh. we see him doing. He's thinking, once again, about Alice and the naval officer. And it's getting more and more graphic. So yeah, this is I, a very elaborate fantasy. Haven't you ever had elaborate fantasies? I have. Not, I don't think like awake though. Like he's awake this whole time, thinking about this. His eyes are wide shut. That's oh. what a waking dream is. Wow. Yeah. Okay, but then 
why does he does he go home and say i'll tell you everything like that's real it could be because the man who died uh whose daughter comes on to him this uh maybe that did happen or maybe it didn't happen the way we see it happen in the film maybe that was a mentor figure to him Mm. yeah this is not an ironclad theory obviously but this is something i've been holding on to for a while just because because again like the movie is explicit about this and this in a sense this is neither here nor there but it matters it's based on a novel called dream story trom novel by arthur schnitzler um who was a, a theorist who had a lot of i think like uh freud was somebody who we looked to en- enormously in the in the book very it, it's book was written in i think 1928 and it's weird because it takes place in vienna but it's almost scene for scene eyes wide shut it's mm. very faithful and it, it you know that story is is equally ambiguous about some of its points but it's also about the dream state versus reality and how you know one could meld quickly into the other. So when he tells his wife, I'll tell you everything. Yeah. Is, do you think he's just telling her his fantasy? <clears throat> Who knows? We don't know what he tells her. Who mm. knows? Yeah. Because he seems like when they're walking through that department store at the end and he's like, what are, what are we going to do? It's, he, is he, I mean, that's the thing. Is he talking to her? I mean, if we're going to take this thing at face value, is he talking to her about this massive conspiracy that he's uncovered? No, I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about their relationship. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, when she's saying like, maybe we should be grateful that we survived, that could also, you know, again, if you take it literally, they're talking about the orgy, they're talking about the mm. dead and Amanda Curran. Um, But as I'm suggesting... As what you're saying, I agree. I think there's just talking about like, man, like you and I, we're getting a little carried away with our fantasies and it's intruding upon our real life. Mm-hmm. And of course, her final line, as much as it's a shock line and a kind of a punchline, it's extremely practical yeah. marital advice. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We need to go home and just like take care of each other. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So you don't think he cheats on her in this film? No, I don't think there's... There's, well, you know, we've certainly encountered couples in our life who said that they've had emotional affairs. If that's what this is, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you challenged me before we watched the movie. She's like, he kisses people. I'm like, he doesn't kiss anybody. He's he's fit. No, you're, you're right. He does. He does. He does. All right. All right. Two people. All right. It's not intercourse. It's not exactly what I'd call an affair, but fine. Yes, he does. He does kiss I don't, people. I wouldn't call it an affair. Fair, but I would call. You want to call it emotional fair cheating, betrayal, betrayal. I would call cheating. It, I, would call it I think. I think. I would think of sex. All right. I mean, even, even oral sex, cheating. But I think what happens here, you know, I mean, to to, to examine what Doctor Bill does on a scene to scene basis, he is tempted. You know, again, if you're going to take this literally, he is tempted in every scene. It's more and more and more. It's like he's going further and further down Dante's yeah. Inferno. But if this whole thing is him just like having a dream then I don't think there was a betrayal. Just like, I don't think her telling him about the naval officer. No, but the fantasy hurt and it yeah, hurt him. And the way that his fantasy, whatever it is that he tells her, clearly rattles her as yeah. well. I'm not saying that he doesn't have a right to be rattled over what she said, but I also think, wow, he took that to an extreme, you know? But because he was interrupted by the phone call... I think if they had finished that conversation, there would have been maybe a healthier conclusion, but they never got to finish it. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what would have happened? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's constantly being interrupted. I mean, that's the thing I love about this character. He, There's an element of film noir here. Film noir is defined by a lot of things, one of which is that it has an unreliable protagonist. Dr. Bill is not doing the right thing, frequently. Frequently, he's about to do the wrong thing, and he's constantly interrupted. Even at the orgy. Sir, uh, there's some. There's a matter of the cab driver. Like every, He's constantly being interrupted from something he's about to do that he probably shouldn't be doing. Right. Which, and it starts with his... You, don't you think that is more of a dream type thing? Because in real life, if you were faced with all of these <laughs> temptations, I don't think like the odds of it be, them being interrupted every time, like 100% of the time you're given an out, I don't think that that would have happened. And out of like the phone ringing. Well, another question. Or someone interrupting you. The thing that bothers me too is how much, you know, because again, like the relationship between dreams and reality. Alice's story when he returns from the orgy bothers me because it's a clear correlation in some way to what happened to him. Mm-hmm. I don't quite understand it, but it bothers me because the imagery that she's describing is what we just saw him go through at the orgy. Although you could say it's basically her putting herself in that situation, which bothers me even more because I'm thinking, was she there? Was she dreaming about what he what happened to him? Was she seeing herself in his place? Um, there's something going on with her relationship to his journey mm-hmm. that I don't completely understand or maybe perhaps don't even understand it all fine um but that's that's also something that bothers me yeah a lot of unanswered questions but dreams are like that right you wake up and while you're having them they're ironclad they make a lot of sense they're you know like i'm gonna remember this when i wake up because this is important and and, you know this is a line out of a play i did called the monkey's paw where my character described how when you're when you're having a dream it's it's you know it makes sense and you wake up and you go i was the king of the tuna fish (laughs) you know weird you know and you try to explain to someone you go that's really weird well dreams are like that sometimes they make sense while you're having them and you wake up and you realize oh like it logic was not there but while you were having them the emotion was there the logic was there the world made sense Mm -hmm. and i feel like there's a lot of that in this film there's aspects of this movie that just do not hold up if you unless you look at them as a dream and you go oh yeah because haven't we all had sexual dreams where it's like the eroticism of it made sense in the moment and you're going why would he go to that apartment and why would domino's roommate really flagrantly throw i mean yeah it's tom cruise but still why would she throw himself it there's something really unnatural about that scene for example it is like a sex fantasy like a sex dream right um you know and then even the way it ends it's like it's not just that it you know not only is it coitus interruptus but I mean, he is once again like saved by the bell, this guy. Yeah, exactly. That's what, what a I'm great saying. fantasy. This guy is constantly avoiding every, you know, disease, murder. <laughs> <laughs> like like Dr. Bill, like, like yeah, I get these fantasies. So like, but he wow. also has no sex. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he's kind of he's kind of square. Yeah. Again, and I think this is a kind of a reflection of Kubrick's worldview, respectfully. I, I you know, I never knew him, never met him. But from what we know about Kubrick, there were there were traditional values in his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like, you know, certainly perhaps his views of marriage and fidelity and the longevity of marriage are all over this film. It's a personal film. 
all of his films are, but this one feels especially personal because it's about something that's so simple, but at the same time, so complex. Why do people stay together? Uh, what are the things that make people go apart? Can you have an inner life that is different uh, or even private, even though you're sharing a life with someone who's right next to you most of the time? Can you have that inner cerebral life of adventure and sexuality, these fantasy lives? Can you do that? Can you, you know, can you sleep next to someone and have secrets? Can you keep those secrets? Is that a good thing to have? I feel like this movie is asking these questions and they're good questions because if you've been married for someone for a period of time, it does occur to you like, like what are the secrets that I keep? What are the, you know, you do kind of compartmentalize these things. And not only that, um, you know, the movie is telling us like, no, it's, it's good to be open. It's good to be honest. Intimacy isn't just sexual. It is psychological, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she says that. When she's telling him the Cape Cod story, she's like, I never felt, you'd never felt more dear to me is what she said. And clearly it's one of the things that breaks him. He cannot yeah. handle that story. Yeah, but that yeah. part, I it was it's an interesting choice of words, mm. you know, because I know that none of this was ad-libbed. <laughs> like Kubrick would not have stood for that. So the fact that she says, like, you've never felt more dear to me and we're making plans for our future. It just felt very real, just her whole story. I agree with you. I think this movie needed more Nicole Kidman, and I don't mind Tom Cruise's performance, but um, I don't know. She seems to be the heart of of it. Yeah, and it's fine. I mean, if, if anything, it's one of these films that perhaps they recognized how how alluring and also how compelling this character is. So if anything... The moments in the film where she's not there, it's just like, it's such a breath of fresh air when she returns. There's a scene that's disturbing because of the uh, voiceover that plays over, but it's the scene where Dr. Bill is watching Alice Tudor, his daughter. Mm. And, you know, it's this really sweet moment where the little girl is learning about math and whatnot. And and, and uh, uh, Alice is, uh, yeah, she kind of glances at, at Bill and they, they have this nice moment. Like, it's this is a great little moment, but he's remembering her describe the dream and the dream is so disturbing in contrast with her having this nice moment with her daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, how the dream life intrudes upon real life. Yeah. In a very demonstrative way. Yeah. Yeah. So much so that Dr. Bill can't keep it together. No, he's got to, he's got to grab a Budweiser out of the fridge. That's like his, <laughs> his go-to. It's either an orgy or a Budweiser. <laughs> Okay, well, do you have any other final thoughts? Because um, I know you think this movie is perfect. I know you wouldn't change anything. Five stars, all that. <laughs> I'm so predictable. No, I, I do love this film. Um, Kubrick's best, his greatest film is probably 2001 A Space Odyssey. And that was a film that I've, I've seen it so many times because every year I would show it to my students and it would always have this very divisive and very welcome reaction from different students in different ways. So I think 2001 Space Odyssey is his greatest film, but this is just, it just this is my favorite. Um, I've been obsessed with this movie for a long time. I continue to be. I'm always looking for new things. There's so much mystery to this film. I'm always, you know, I always perk up when someone has a new Eyes Wide Shut story. The one that really made me happy, I'll tell you really quickly, there was an unauthorized biography of Tom Cruise that came out about 10 or so years ago, and it was total tabloid fodder crap. Um, it was just... You know, even as someone who's a fan of Cruise, 
I'm reading through this like, wow, like not only is this inaccurate, this is not fair. And there's no citing some of these stories. It got to Eyes Wide Shut. And one of the things that this book claimed, it was said like, uh, Har- it's true, Harvey Keitel was cast in the role of Victor and he was fired from the film. And according to the book, he was fired because to quote the book, there was a masturbation scene that literally got out of hand. That's what was in the book. Wow. I'm thinking, what was that about? You know, and but I'm also thinking like, wait a second, like, I've never heard that before. And where did they get that information? And you're not going to cite anybody? Nothing. It just it just said that. So I thought like that's, that's I mean, for one thing, one insult to Harvey Keitel as well as, you know, the movie and et cetera, et cetera. A couple of years ago, Gary Oldman is doing this radio interview and he talks about different directors he wished he could have worked with. And Kubrick comes up and he says, this is the story that he heard about Eyes Wide Shut from Harvey Keitel. And I thought, well, you know, this is great because... Oldman has no reason to lie about this. He says what Harvey Keitel told him was that Kubrick made him walk through a door 86 times. And after like the 86 take, clearly Keitel was not giving Kubrick what he wanted. And Kubrick's like, again, again, again. And finally Keitel looked at him and go, you're effing crazy. And he walked off the set. (laughs) And it's like, that's fantastic. And that's obviously what happened. Um, You know, and, and Keitel, you know, great actor, but, I suspect a lot of actors, I mean, I, we know a lot of actors who had a hard time working with Kubrick because of his demands for perfectionism and for his multiple takes. Um, yeah, I, I I think this is one of these films, like, I hope in my lifetime there will be a documentary about this film or a definitive book. Because right now, so much of what happened in that 400 days of shooting is mere speculation. And uh, at the time, Cruz and Kidman spoke about what a what a rewarding, what a great experience it was. And you look at the film, it's like, that's amazing. I think they spent so much time on a movie this troubling. Although, again, it's 400 days. The movie's two and a half hours. It's like, how many times do they do those scenes? Mm-hmm. How many, you know, I'm, I'm, last night I was really watching the extras. Because, like, in the opening scene where where Nicole Kidman is dancing with the Hungarian, I'm watching those extras thinking, like, what take was this? It was, like, take 47. Their feet are in agony. Like, they're just like, oh, Nicole again with her monologue, you know. <laughs> Like and, and I also wonder about the orgy scene too because oh, oh my gosh because you know this movie is is sh- just shrouded just cloaked in secrecy so I'm sure you know and it was shot in England so I'm sure those extras are like I always wanted to be in a Kubrick film but I did not realize it would be that kind of Kubrick film <laughs> I didn't know he would want me to do this in a Kubrick film um, I do wonder what what their stories are like. Yeah, so this is just this movie is it's it's a, like a unicorn to me. I'm fascinated by it. I think it's so rare and special. And compared to everything, because '99 was a great year. That was the year of The Matrix, The Sixth Sense, American Beauty, which I've never cared for, Election, Fight Club, Office Space. Uh, so many great movies. Magnolia. So many great movies came out that year. But for me, this was like yeah, this is the best film of 1999. This is one of the best films I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to continue to – I turn 45 soon. I hope when I'm 50 I could watch this movie and continue to discover things because this this movie is just – there's so much that I think we're, we have yet to discover about it. All right. Well, we would also love to hear your thoughts. If you saw this movie, loved it, hated it, what are your theories? Because clearly Barry wants to know. Yeah, yeah. I would be very interested, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Have you thought of something we haven't thought of? Tell us. If this is your least favorite Kubrick film, and a lot of people feel that way, I want to hear that too. I really do. I, I welcome that conversation. Great films create conversations, whether you whether you love the film or not. So, mm-hmm. yeah, please. All right. Well, that concludes our lengthy discussion of Eyes Wide Shut. 
Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone. Don't forget the password is Fidelio. Fidelio.